Okay, I'm back. Every time I start a new episode of this podcast, I feel like I'm coming to the mic with my tail between my legs because it's been so long since I uploaded the last one. It's been two weeks since my last episode, but like a month since the last episode on this topic, which is ironic because I picked this topic because I thought that I could get through it all kind of quickly and I could upload faster. Um, but I really have just never been more wrong in my life. Okay, so here's an update if you've only been listening and you are not following me elsewhere. So last time we talked about the Johnny Depp Amber Heard situation and all of their allegations of abuse against one another. I was working on a timeline of their relationship and I had just kind of gone through the first part, like their past before they actually got together. And my plan was to continue that timeline for this episode and then also post like a Twitter thread or something that could be like written down and people could read if they didn't want to like listen to my voice and just go over all the major points to act as like an easy resource for all the most important information surrounding this whole mess. But as I got further into making that timeline, I started to realize how much fucking information there was to go through. So I decided to just make a post on my website that could act as that resource since I can more easily edit that, meaning I didn't have to be 100% complete with my information upon publishing, and I could take suggestions and feedback from anybody else that knew something about that case, and that's what I did. So that post is up. I've already gotten a lot of feedback, which is partially why this episode is even later than I thought it would be, because I wanted to make sure that, like, you know, I didn't get any new information from anybody else that would drastically change what I talked about in this recording. But I think that it's about good now. There's still more stuff I want to add to it, but we've got enough that I feel like I can talk about it at this point. It was originally just a post on my regular blog, uh, but since that's where my RSS feed comes from, and there was an audio file on the post, well, there were multiple, but it, it just took the first audio file, and then streaming services picked that up, and then just, I, it just thought that that was an episode of the podcast. I tried not to fill out any of, like, the podcasting stuff on the audio files, hoping that it just wouldn't be picked up, but it was. Which was kind of funny because the post is called uh, Everything You Need to Know About the Relationship of Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. And so that was the name of the episode that got uploaded to streaming services. And the audio file was just uh, Johnny Depp making like inarticulable sounds in an airplane bathroom. I almost just left it like that because I was like, in a way, maybe that is everything you need to know. If you just, like, replace Johnny's voice with mine, that's how I feel about this subject at this point. That's what this episode really could just be, is just me making my own noises. But anyway, I did move the post, so it's not just, like, a regular blog post now. I'll put the link in the show notes if you want to check the page out, or if you just go to my website at medusini.com. There's a little button at the top of the page for it, so you can just click that and go right to it. 
But in this episode, we're really just going to go through the whole list. So if you want to go to that page and read along with me, you can do that. It can be like interactive. Um, but the intention of that page is to just create a resource for facts related to the case that are as unbiased as possible. So if you want to just fully make your own opinion and not be swayed by anyone else's interpretations of events, go read that page. I'm not like 100% done with it yet. As I said, I still have a few things I want to add to it, and I have other things that people have suggested that I'm going to add to it. But at this point, it's at least where I think we've hit all the main talking points. You can at least make a pretty informed decision about everything from the info on that page, even if there are a few things that I want to add later. But if you're ready to hear my opinion, that's what this episode is. I'm going to be giving my interpretation of events. I'm going to start picking some sides. I'm still going to try to be as fair to everyone involved as possible. The reason that I even wanted to talk about this case at all is because, one, the discourse on social media has just gotten so toxic and unproductive that, you know, sometimes you just have to, like, be the change that you want to see in the world. And I want to see the world discussing this case in a way that doesn't make me want to vomit, because that is how I have felt recently. And then number two, it is just an incredibly complex situation. And even though I have at this point chosen a quote unquote side here, there is so much data to consider that I cannot say I blame anyone for leaning the opposite way that I do. This is not like a Cosby or Weinstein case where there are like hundreds of victims who've come forward against one individual. This is two people who have given opposing testimonies against one another, alleging domestic abuse, and for the most part, both of their testimonies sound fairly believable, at least at surface level, depending on the allegations. I will say I changed my mind about this case many times throughout doing the research. There's a lot of information to go through, like I said, and if you have an incomplete amount of information, you can come to a conclusion that you wouldn't if you knew more. And even if you have all the information, we can't ignore the fact that people do have biases. That's something you really can't get rid of. You can only combat by acknowledging your biases. Your experiences will greatly impact the way you look at this case. There are Depp supporters who feel the way that they do because Johnny's account of the abuse he faced at the hands of his borderline personality disorder wife feels familiar to them because of issues they may have faced with someone with a personality disorder. Now, obviously, not everyone with a personality disorder is abusive, and not every abuser has a personality disorder, but something like borderline can greatly impact a person's ability to regulate their emotions or perceive and respect certain boundaries, which can increase their potential for developing abusive behaviors within relationships. And if you've ever been made victim to those behaviors, some of the stuff Johnny Depp has described of Amber Heard might make it easier for you to relate to him. On the other side, though, if you've ever had to experience abuse at the hands of a person struggling with substances or violent aggression, then you may find Amber Heard's account of abuse against Johnny more relatable. And, as I discussed the last time we talked about this, gender also plays a huge role here. 
There are toxic depth supporters who are just gleefully enjoying the fact that they get to call a woman alleging abuse a liar, and then using that label to try to undermine the entire Me Too movement, which empowered many women, and some men, to come forward with their allegations of abuse. And there are toxic herd supporters who've discounted everything Johnny Depp has said because they don't believe men are capable of being abuse victims. Neither of those types of supporters are representative of the entirety of their side, but they do exist and all of this is making the discourse around this issue a reasonable source of emotional distress for a lot of people. I am not going to ask you to put your emotions aside, because you literally can't, and your emotions on this issue are probably not irrational or unwarranted. But I am going to ask all of us to remind ourselves right now that not everyone who disagrees with us on this issue is doing so because they're a piece of shit. Many of them are good people just trying their best to make sense of a messy-ass narrative. So let's keep that in mind for the rest of this podcast and also for forever. And now that we're nice and centered and not filled with anger and hate, we can move forward with this episode. Like I said, I'm going to go through the page on my website and talk about all the major points on the Amber Heard Johnny Depp timeline and give you my thoughts, my interpretations, my conclusions. In the next episode, I'm going to talk more about the whole social media aspect of this discourse because even though I just said the thing about most people being good and trying their best and whatever, this entire case has provoked some of the nastiest shit I have ever seen in my life. Like, holy fuck, I just truly cannot wait to not talk about this issue anymore. I, I just want to talk about pop stars. I, I don't know why I started this. Yeah, I, this, this wasn't a super fun project for me, I'll say. Editing Jasmine here. Um, so as I'm sure you can already tell on whatever service you're streaming this on, this is a long episode and it used to be much longer. I cut quite a few things out. None of it was stuff that I thought was like really impactful. Everything that I think gets to the point of what I'm saying is in this episode. But if you want like a more complete story, you can just look at the website that's got more information on it. And again, that's more objective. And this is more of just my opinion. And also, um, I didn't give a trigger warning. I figured people just kind of know because of what the subject is. But I am going to be playing some clips from like the recordings of their fights and stuff. And that might be like especially triggering to people. So just put yourself in whatever mind frame you need to be in before you listen to that and or just go listen to something that is less upsetting. I won't be offended. Um, okay, back to past Jasmine. First off, um, Amber and Johnny were both abused by their parents in childhood. Johnny by his mom, Amber by her dad. They also both dropped out of high school around 16 or 17 to pursue careers in acting. Johnny Depp was actually first pursuing a career in music, but Nicolas Cage convinced him to audition for a Wes Craven film, and the rest was history. Johnny started doing drugs around age 12, and he went through many different relationships, most of which were pretty short-lived, but evidently very intense, since he's maybe been engaged to, like, over 50% of the girlfriends he's had. I didn't run the numbers on that, but it feels like that's a safe assumption. 
this motherfucker loves getting engaged and tends to do it pretty quickly. Now, some things that are notable about Johnny Depp's relationships, one is he has a tendency to date women quite a lot younger than him. His age gap with Winona Ryder was only about eight years, which isn't that horrible, but it was eight years when he was 25 and she was 17, and that's pretty bad. Um, I'm 26, and to imagine myself dating an 18-year-old even seems hella predatory and weird, even though they're technically a legal adult. Personally, I don't really think you become an adult until like 23, maybe 22, but 17, definitely a no from me. I understand a little if Winona was already in the entertainment industry, she likely had some working experience, and she likely didn't live with her parents at the time. I don't know that for sure, I'm just guessing. I didn't research Winona's life for this, but I could maybe see her being more mature than the average 17-year-old, and she possibly had more adult responsibilities by that point. But she has gone on record to say that Depp was her first boyfriend, and her first kiss, and her first whatever, none of my business. So that's not cool to me. For a man who's already been married and had like two other fiancés by the time that they met, I'd really recommend sticking to love interests with a similar level of experience, because otherwise the power dynamic within the relationship is gonna be really hard to manage. You're just setting yourself up to be in a situation in which your partner feels intimidated by your perceived wisdom. That's just me looking at the situation from the outside. I can't say for sure if it was toxic or unbalanced, but just with the bare facts, it makes me uncomfortable. Another notable concern I have is that Depp's relationships seem to become incredibly serious incredibly quickly which could be seen as love bombing, which is when a person gives a prospective romantic partner a whole bunch of love and affection and attention at the start of the relationship and pushes the relationship to progress rapidly, then starts exhibiting more abusive behaviors once their partner is already committed to them. Again, I don't know that that's what was happening with Depp and his relationships, but just from the outside, that's a concern that I have. However, most of the people that have dated Johnny Depp in the past have spoken really highly of him and have said that they don't believe that Amber's accusations match up with the person that they were with. Not everyone's experience is going to be the same, but it is significant if these are not patterns that Johnny has exhibited in the past. But while no one has alleged physical abuse from Johnny, two of his exes have spoken on behaviors of his that does match up with Amber's accounts. Jennifer Gray said that when she was with Johnny Depp, he would just kind of go, not missing, but like he would be abroad very often or away from her a lot. And then when he'd come home, he'd be crazy jealous and paranoid about what she was up to while he was gone. And then Ellen Barkin did allege that Johnny was verbally abusive during their relationship, and she said there was always an air of violence around him. Ellen did not say that Johnny ever hit her, but she did claim that he would throw bottles at walls and was generally kind of violent and aggressive while under the influence. 
And like Jennifer, she did say that he was incredibly jealous and paranoid and possessive. Now, last time I talked about Kate Moss a little bit, and Kate Moss has been pretty in favor of Johnny, it seems. She even, like, went to one of his concerts after he won his U.S. court case. They seem like they're still friends. She testified on his behalf and denied allegations that Amber spoke of claiming that Johnny had pushed Kate Moss down the stairs at some point. But I did get sent a few interesting things after I made my post about Kate Moss's relationship with Johnny. Um, so there was a 2014 New York Post article that claimed Kate was afraid of Johnny's moods and even more afraid that he would leave her and said that she didn't feel worthy of Johnny Depp and did everything he told her to. Now, I should clarify, these are just claims from the New York Post, and they are not direct quotes from Kate Moss. I don't know who the source of the claims is. So take those with a grain of salt. But Kate Moss did at one point tell Vanity Fair that she considered Johnny to be someone who, quote, took care of her during their relationship. She said, I believed what he said. Like, if I said, what do I do, he'd tell me. She didn't say that as if it were a bad thing, so maybe that was not indicative of a problem in the relationship, but it does point to her maybe being submissive to him, which maybe points to just, like, what he looks for in a woman. I don't know, but it's there. Most notably, though, in 1998, Johnny Depp did an interview with Rolling Stone where he talked about his friendship with Hunter S. Thompson, who was the author of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the book, and Johnny was in the film adaptation for that. Um, but Johnny said of an early conversation he had with Thompson, quote, I was with Kate and I think he went straight for the romance jugular. Shit like whether I beat her enough. I probably told him, yeah, she gets a severe beating, unquote. Now that could be Johnny's sense of humor. Uh, but it is notable that Hunter S. Thompson was accused of sexual assault prior to his passing, and him and Johnny Depp were friends, like, throughout his life. So, in addition to his friendship with Marilyn Manson and his work with Roman Polanski in defense of Roman Polanski, Johnny Depp does have some unscrupulous friends. And whether or not he was kidding in that interview, I also just personally don't think it's that funny to joke about severely beating your girlfriend, but, you know, I'm usually the girlfriend in situations, so I don't think that I would like that if someone joked about beating me. But you know what? Maybe we're just different. Me and Kate are just different. And last time I read a quote that Johnny made in 1994, which was a little iffy to me about people, or specifically just women, accusing famous men of rape. I didn't love the way that he talked about that. But someone sent me another interesting quote, and this one is from 1999, after Johnny was arrested for fighting with photographers outside a restaurant. And this is what he said, quote, I was having dinner with friends when these photographers turned up. I said to them, please, I don't want to be what you want me to be tonight. I don't want to be Johnny Depp, but they wouldn't stop, so I just grabbed this one guy who had his hands kind of reaching in the door, and then I grabbed a piece of wood and smacked him in the hand, and I said, I want you to take the picture. Take the picture. 
It's a moment in my life that I will love until my last breath because what I saw in their eyes was pure, unadulterated fear. They didn't take the picture. It proves something, something sad, but violence, most of the time, is the only thing that works. And for the moment, I loved it. Just watching all this stuff go down, even the cops arriving, a beautiful kind of moment, you know? Unquote. Do I blame Johnny Depp for hitting a photographer in the hand with a piece of wood? Not necessarily. I mean, depending on how aggressive they were, depending on how intrusive they were being, the paparazzi are kind of just stalkers by trade. So, uh, you know, do what you gotta do, I guess. But there definitely is something very imposing about that quote. Granted, it was a long time ago. It was in 1999, so over 20 years ago. But someone who revels to see the unadulterated fear in another person's eyes? I don't know. It's a little, little weird, especially when that person is already like rich and famous, so you know that if they want to see the unadulterated fear in someone's eyes, they're probably gonna get away with it easier than someone who is not rich and famous. And that's just the pattern of enabling that happens in the world of celebrity. And outside of that incident, Johnny does have a record of arrests, mostly for things like damage to property, fighting with security guards, but there are no known records of him getting arrested for assaulting someone he knew personally. So whether or not that indicates a pattern of abusive behavior rather than just like violent, aggressive behavior, I don't know. Certainly, I would be wary of someone with a past of trashing hotel rooms and punching security officers, etc., but beating up a photographer or a security officer is a lot different than beating up someone that you love. So, take that into consideration. Amber Hurt's record on that front is not totally spotless either. She was arrested in 2009 on suspicion of domestic abuse when she and her girlfriend at the time, or actually I think they were domestic partners at the time, were in a heated argument in an airport that got spotted by police officers, and Amber was arrested and briefly taken to jail before the charges were dropped. Now Amber's alleged victim, Tasia Von Ray, whom I realized that I was pronouncing her name wrong in the first episode. Um, I got the Ray part right. Other people were saying Re, but apparently Van is pronounced Vaughn, and instead of Tasha, it's Tasia. Anyway, so Tasia has denied the claims that Amber was ever abusive to her, and she said that Amber was wrongfully accused for the incident by two individuals in a powerful position whom she recounted had hints of misogynistic and homophobic attitudes toward Amber and Tasia. Johnny's legal team is eager to point out that one of the cops in the situation was actually a woman and a lesbian herself, so I guess therefore can't be capable of misogyny or homophobia, which she definitely can, but even more important is the fact that number one, there were two police officers, and Amber said in one of her depositions that it was actually the male officer whom they thought was more aggressive toward them. And two, Amber and Tasia can just be wrong about that aspect. They can be wrong that they were a victim of misogyny or homophobia, 
And still, that doesn't make Tasia's claim that Amber wasn't abusive to her incorrect. So, I just don't find the whole thing about one of the police officers being a lesbian to be that convincing that, like, oh yeah, Tasia and Amber were just lying. But, whatever. The fact is, though, that Amber was in public interacting with Tasia in a way that was alarming to a police officer. And whether or not things got misinterpreted or over-sensationalized, it's still not great to look like you might be abusing your partner in public. That does kind of indicate that you might be a little more aggressive in conversations or arguments than you should be, even if there was no actual physical assault. But let's move on. That's really it for all the background stuff. I saw some people accusing me of being biased just because Amber Heard's section was so much shorter than Johnny Depp's, but, like, number one, if you have information about Amber Heard that you think should go in the document, like, just send it to me. I'll put it in. Number two, Johnny's just more famous and has been around in the entertainment industry longer than Amber, so there's more to say about him. It's not my fault. And I'm not just gonna, like, inflate Amber Heard's section with things that I think are irrelevant just to make them look more even. That would be incredibly dishonest. Like, someone wanted me to put something in there about Amber's license being suspended at one point. Like, she got caught driving with a suspended license. And I was like, that's just really not... It's not relevant to any allegations of abuse. It's irresponsible. But... I don't make the assumption that everyone who's driven on a suspended license is probably going to abuse their spouse. It's a little different than when someone is arrested for violence. But anyway, we can finally get into the timeline. So 2009, that is when Amber and Johnny met. They met on the set of The Rum Diaries, though they were both still in relationships with other women. So Amber was still with Tasia, and Johnny was with Vanessa Paradis, who he was with, like, the longest of any of his relationships. And she is the mother of his two children, Lily Rose and Jack. Their actual relationship began around 2011 during the Rum Diaries press tour when they were both single. Like with Johnny's other relationships, it seemed to move pretty quickly, at least as far as Heard has alleged. She said that shortly after the two began seeing each other, Johnny was already discussing marriage and even made like a fake engagement ring out of aluminum foil and put it on Heard's ring finger. So matches up with some of his other patterns. They wouldn't actually get engaged until quite a bit later, but it seems they at least started talking about it pretty early. Now, according to statements made by Johnny's attorneys, Johnny was sober starting in December 2011 until August 2012. So at the beginning of their relationship, Johnny is not on any substances other than maybe like prescription medication, but just pure sober Johnny. Now, also in December 2011, I don't know if this is before or after Johnny became sober, he was at an Icky and the Stooges concert where his security team allegedly assaulted a UC Irvine professor named Robin A. Eckert. Eckert claimed that Johnny's bodyguards bear-hugged her and attempted to take her iPhone, then dragged her through the VIP area and dropped her to the ground. Eckert also said that the bodyguards falsely claimed to be off-duty police officers and showed her a set of handcuffs and pretended to try to arrest her. Now here's a fun little quote here. 
According to Depp through his attorney, Eckert had assaulted him and therefore, quote, consented to any assault and battery, unquote, that she may have suffered at the hands of his security staff. Now, if the woman actually did assault Johnny, then his bodyguards were in the right to subdue her. I don't really know that the sentence consented to any assault and battery is a great look. There's a difference between removing a threat and assaulting and battering someone. But whatever, I don't know the specifics of this event because I was not there, but it's an allegation that exists. Eckerd, for the record, has said that she did not assault Johnny, she was simply dancing too close to him. And the lawsuit was later settled for an undisclosed amount. Then we get to March 22nd, 2012, and this is an email that Johnny sent to Elton John. He basically just thanked Elton for his support in his sobriety. And the most important thing about this email is really just the fact that Johnny referred to a version of himself as, quote, the monster. This is despite later claims that this was a name that Amber had given to Johnny in an effort to demean him. So according to Johnny Depp, Amber Heard would call Johnny the monster when he was doing things that she did not approve of. However, there are quite a few instances in which Johnny is talking to someone who is not Amber and is using those terms himself. So it is possible that Johnny had just been so berated by Amber that he took on her vocabulary in relation to his drinking and substance abuse. Or it's possible that it's not actually something that was specific to Amber. It was just something that Johnny used to describe himself in an inebriated state. Then in June of 2012, Johnny officially announced his separation from Vanessa and his and Amber's relationship would become public a little while later. Also in June, Johnny had a birthday, and as a gift, Amber bought him a knife with an inscription that translates to, until death. According to Amber, Johnny had an interest in knives, and he loved the color turquoise, which is the color of the handle. Now, at this point, Amber has claimed that she had begun to see a darker side to Johnny's temperament, she says she witnessed him becoming increasingly hostile and occasionally violent. However, he did not direct his aggression toward her or any other individuals. Rather, he would just sometimes throw things, damage furniture, punch walls. And Johnny allegedly started making claims about Amber that were degrading, especially in relation to her work as an actress and her wardrobe. He didn't like the clothes she wore, he called her a whore on a couple occasions, he was upset at her for taking roles with, like, romantic scenes with other people, and he would imply that she had only gotten certain acting jobs because of how revealing her clothing was. So that's what Amber claims. She said that he would do this shit, insult her, throw things, break things, but then he would later apologize for anything he'd done and they'd re-enter into what she called the warm glow of their relationship. She saw his behavior as mostly being a result of his intoxication, but when he was sober, he was pretty much just the man of her dreams. So this gift of a knife has been used by Johnny's side, both his legal team and some of his supporters, to imply that Amber must not have been experiencing any abuse, because if she was, why would she buy him a knife? Um, er, this one really <laughs> pisses me off, to be honest with you. So, look. First of all, 
this seems like a very similar reasoning to like, if you were abused, why didn't you leave? If you were abused, why didn't you call the police? If you were abused, why did you come to his birthday party? Like, it's just, if you're questioning the rationale of an abuse victim, the only thing you're going to find is that people who are experiencing abuse do things that from the outside seems like a mistake. And you really can't say that you would have done anything differently if you were in that situation, because you weren't. So, yeah, is an abuse victim buying her partner a weapon a bad idea? Yeah, but being with an abusive partner is a bad idea, and people do it. I'm not going to judge them for it. I make bad decisions all the time. Moreover, though, at this point... Amber hasn't alleged any physical violence against her. She said when asked about this in court, she didn't think that Johnny was going to stab her. And I think that's completely fair, given that to this point, even the toxic behavior she described, it was all just him insulting her or damaging furniture. She had no indication that he was going to be physically abusive toward her. Well, not no indication. Uh, to be clear, if you do have a partner who starts throwing things and punching walls, you should be weary. But, again, even if I were Amber in this situation, I wouldn't assume that Johnny would ever stab me, even if he did get drunk and throw things sometimes. It's just not really an assumption you make about your partner. And thirdly, even if he had been physically abusive at this point, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be adding to his arsenal of weapons that he could use against you, but what are the chances that he's going to stab you with that exact knife? If Amber's allegation is that Johnny would get into fights with her when he was upset and then become violent, what are the chances that he has that specific knife with him in those moments where he's upset? Not to be a downer, but if he really wanted to stab someone... I'm assuming he has access to other knives. And you can't really argue, like, how am I supposed to believe that you were afraid of him if you had knives in your kitchen? It's truly just a nonsense argument that I'm not even upset about because of anything to do with Johnny and Amber. It's really just victim-blaming nonsense that I don't think we should be using as reasoning in a domestic violence case, period. Whatsoever. Then in early 2013, we get the first alleged assault. Now, according to Amber, Johnny was highly intoxicated when Amber asked him about one of his tattoos. It was a tattoo that said Wino Forever, which he had had changed from Winona Forever following his split from Winona Ryder. When Johnny told her what the tattoo was, Amber thought he was kidding, prompting her to laugh, which Johnny seemed to find offensive. He then slapped Amber across the face... Then, still thinking he was joking, she continued to laugh, prompting him to slap her across the face again and yell, You think you're funny, bitch. Amber says that he slapped her a third time and she fell to the floor. After that, Johnny would go on to apologize, falling to his knees and crying while he said that he thought he put the monster away. And Amber would think that it was just an isolated incident and it would never happen again. That's Amber's account. Johnny's account is he doesn't remember the conversation taking place. But he doesn't think that the allegation makes, quote, any sense, since he views the tattoos on his body as something akin to diary entries. Therefore, he would not be offended enough to become physically violent just because someone mocked his tattoos. That is what he said in court. 
I don't know if that really makes sense because if your tattoos are really personal to you and they're like diary entries, that seems to me that you would be more offended if someone laughed at them or something, you know? Like, if that's not what would be offensive enough for you to slap someone, what attitude would you have to have to your tattoos that you would slap someone? Like, I just, I think his reasoning there is weird. Not that I think that it is a reason to hit someone, but like, if there was a reason, it would be that you found your tattoos really personal, right? I don't know. It was just a weird line of reasoning, I thought, but his explanation being kind of weird doesn't prove that he hit her, and this is one of the occasions where it's just a pure he said, she said, so I, I have no idea. As we go through, I'm going to give my take on, like, each allegation, and this one is just a firm question mark. Don't know that that happened. Maybe it did, maybe it didn't. Who's to say? Now, to go deeper into Johnny's allegations against Amber... He doesn't have, like, a specific date where he says this is the first time that Amber physically assaulted me, as Amber does. But a couple points about what he did say. Number one, he said that Amber's depiction of his alcohol and substance abuse is really exaggerated. But he does confess to breaking his sobriety during the relationship. He's implied that the break in his sobriety was a result of the abuse that he was experiencing from Amber. And he was using drugs and alcohol to cope with that. And then Amber would use his use of substances to berate him and demean him further. So kind of just like a circle of abuse there. She abuses him, so he drinks. He drinks, so she abuses him. In regards to the physical abuse, he alleges, he said, quote, It could begin with a slap. It could begin with a shove. It could begin with throwing a TV remote at my head. It could begin with throwing a glass of wine at my face, unquote. He said that Amber would insult him as a parent. And she would refer to the monster as a way to gaslight Johnny, telling him that he did things when he was intoxicated that he may or may not have done in order to convince him that he was to blame for all their conflict. On March 8, 2013, we have the second alleged assault. So according to Amber, Johnny became upset about a painting hanging in her house. The painting had been created by Tasia, which caused Johnny to become jealous and threatened to light the painting on fire. As the fight between the two escalated, Johnny hit Amber across the face hard enough for blood from her lip to hit the wall of her home. Now, according to Johnny, the painting was hanging above Amber's bed, and he did find the placement inappropriate. He kindly asked Amber to move it somewhere else, but at no point did he become violent with her. A couple days later, however, on March 12, 2013, Johnny texted Amber and said, Just thought you should know that there exists a book titled Disco Bloodbath. That's all. Amber responded, We need that book. Is it about last Friday night by any chance? Now, I got out a little calendar from March of 2013. Last Friday was March 8th, so the alleged incident in which Johnny hit Amber and threatened to light Tasia's painting on fire. And Johnny responded to the text, How can you make me smile about such a hideous moment? Yes, it is. Funny bitch. I fucking love you, you cunt. Johnny later said that that text was not in reference to any violence on his part, However, I have to say, it's a little suspicious to me. First of all, with later developments, we will learn that 
Johnny is very jealous of Tasia and also just jealous of people that Amber talks to and interacts with. Now, according to Johnny, he was only jealous because Amber was frequently cheating on him. He wasn't actually experiencing paranoia. He was having completely rational suspicions. But look, the fact that this came up in court and Johnny's response was, well, the painting was hanging above Amber's bed, so I did find the placement inappropriate. Ugh, that tells me that you were maybe kind of inappropriately jealous. I don't know. And the text message as well, the way that it's worded with him talking about that hideous moment, that doesn't sound to me like they're describing an overall fight or an argument. It sounds like he's talking about a moment in which somebody did something that was objectively bad. And I think that when you're saying, how can you remind me of that hideous moment, it's probably something you're saying about your own actions. So with Amber's account that he hit her and his admission for a hideous moment, I'm gonna give this one a... I'm leaning towards Amber. Now, is it still possible that Amber might be exaggerating the incident? Maybe. I mean, slapping someone so hard that blood from your lip hits the wall? That's pretty intense. I mean, I guess he does wear a lot of rings, Johnny does, so... Maybe. And with Johnny's other claims that Amber was the primary aggressor in the relationship, it's also possible that he slapped her after she had already become physically aggressive herself, so... As far as the overall abuse allegations, at this point we're still going with need more information. But on this specific incident, I do think that Johnny probably slapped her. On March 22nd, 2013, Amber took a photo of a table with some lines of cocaine on it, some form of whiskey, along with another alcoholic beverage, and a tampon applicator, or part of one, which I guess Amber had told Johnny that it would be easier to snort cocaine with that. Um, that's pretty interesting. I've never heard of that, but I also do not do cocaine. Now, in the photo, there is also a box which has the inscription Property of JD, referring to Johnny Depp, obviously. Amber said that that was the box that Johnny would hold his cocaine in. Now, in court, Johnny would say that that was not the case. He did not keep cocaine in that box, and even said under cross-examination in the U.S., that a box would be an insufficient storage method for powder, which, okay, you could put the bag in the box, you don't have to, like, dump it in the box, but whatever. He's clearly implying that he would never put cocaine in that box. But during cross-examination in the UK trial of 2020, he accepted that he likely did store cocaine in that box. So, you know, just a little posturing on the stand in the US. I point this out because... Something that a lot of Johnny Depp supporters will do is point out that Amber Heard contradicted herself frequently in the court trials. And yeah, that's true. She did contradict herself at a couple points. Um, let's all remember for one thing that memory is not infallible, and sometimes you remember something one way and then later remember it another way. That goes for every witness and every testimony in this case. We can't rely on these people to have a tape recorder memory. But there are things that Amber did contradict herself on where it's like, girl, 
we know that that's not what happened. But anyway, Johnny did it too. That's the whole point that I'm trying to make. Both of these people on the stand lied multiple times. Doesn't mean that their allegations are overall untrue, but both of them, if we're just going on credibility, neither one of them is completely honest. And I just think if we're going to call Amber out for it, we got to give Johnny some of that credit too. So Amber texted that photo to Rocky Pennington, which is her best friend at the time. She also texted Johnny's sister, Christy, and said, He's another person when he's like this. He's fueled up on booze and coke. He finds something to jump on and then uses it as an excuse to dose himself up, which is where he is now. Wasted. Christy would go on to characterize Amber as dramatic and said that she couldn't always trust the things that Amber said. Sometimes she fabricated stories, sometimes she exaggerated things. So keep that in mind. Amber also had a text conversation with her mom. So Amber wrote, He's nuts, mom. Violent and crazy. I am heartbroken that this is who I love. Amber's mom, Paige, responded, You should tell your dad and be honest. Johnny will listen. Best chance. Amber. I can't tell dad. It's okay, mom. He's not being violent with me. He's just even raging in general. And the crazy mood swings and binges are really difficult for me to handle. No, my heart is broken. I'm okay physically. JD didn't hit me or anything last night. I told him what would be if he did, and it worked last night, but I'm really scared by who I see now. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde on a binge. Then on March 23rd, 2013, Amber texted her mom, referring to Johnny, saying, He makes Dad look like a saint when he falls off the wagon. She also sent her mom a photo of a bruise she claims was caused by Johnny, but note that metadata could not confirm the date the photo was taken. Then in early June 2013, the couple went on a little outing in Hicksville, California. They were with friends, they went to this place that had trailers and... They just did a bunch of drugs and sat by a campfire and had mostly a very nice time. Except, at some point during the festivities, there was a girl named Kelly Sue. According to Amber, Kelly Sue put her head on Amber's shoulder and touched her arm, which caused Johnny to become extremely jealous and hostile, telling Kelly Sue to get off of Amber. At first, Kelly thought he was joking, which enraged him more. He then got up, grabbed Kelly Sue's wrist, and threatened to break it. Amber and Johnny then went back to their private cabin, and they got into a violent argument. Johnny threw and smashed glass, ripped Amber's dress, and damaged the interior of the cabin. That is all according to Amber. According to Johnny, Johnny was under the influence of alcohol and marijuana, but he was not out of control, and he was not violent. He said under testimony that Kelly Sue was touching her in a way that was, quote, extremely sexual. He said he did not grab Kelly Sue's wrist or attempt to insult or intimidate her in any way. He merely asked her to stop touching Amber. He said, quote, I removed Miss Kelly's hand from Miss Hurd's body and I told her not to do that, unquote. When they went back to the cabin, Amber became verbally abusive to Johnny and instigated an argument between the two of them. He did knock a sconce off of the wall in the cabin, but that was the extent of the damage. Nothing else was broken, and he was never violent toward Amber. He said, quote, I was very upset. 
at yet again being treated as, pardon the expression, the turd in the punch bowl. That was not something I deserved for doing what I thought was right and correct, unquote. When he spoke to the manager of the property, he explained what happened, agreed to pay for the damages in the cabin, and the manager was totally fine with it. There was no issue whatsoever. All right, now here are some other accounts from that night. Christina Sexton, who was Amber's friend and also her acting coach, said that she heard screaming and shouting from outside the cabin and recognized Johnny's voice. She then went into the cabin the next day and testified that it was, quote, pretty messed up. And the damage was more than just a broken wall light. There was broken glass everywhere, as well as torn fabric, and everything was in disarray. That's what Christina said. Rocky, who is Amber's friend, said that she witnessed Johnny speaking to Kelly Sue, and he said something to the effect of, get off my woman. But Rocky didn't clarify the manner in which he said this, or if he threatened to break her wrist. Amber told Rocky the next day that her and Depp had gotten into a fight, and he trashed the cabin. Then Whitney, Amber's sister, said that she went to bed early on the night of the alleged wrist thing, so she didn't see Johnny's interactions with Kelly Sue or the fight with Amber, but she did hear about it the next day and visited Amber and Johnny's trailer, which she said looked like a bomb had gone off inside of it. Now, the manager of the trailer park actually testified in the U.S. trial and said that there was no other damage other than the light. And when he spoke with Johnny, he was very polite. He explained everything, and it was no big deal. He also said that he observed Amber and Johnny fighting, and that Amber was the aggressive one, which he said seemed kind of strange to him because it looked like Johnny was cowering and seemed almost afraid. And that was weird because Johnny is so much older than Amber. Prior to taking the stand, he tweeted at someone discussing the case and said that, I was with them all night. Amber was the one acting all jealous and crazy. Now, this is not discounting anything that he said on the stand, but I do think it's weird that he was allowed to testify after already tweeting something about Amber being jealous and crazy while the trial was going on. Like, I thought that you weren't supposed to be aware of, like, court proceedings and stuff prior to testifying. You're not supposed to look stuff up about the case. Like, I, it just, it's weird to me that he was able to testify after literally tweeting about the case during the case. I mean, granted, yes, he didn't say anything about the trial, but that was clearly, like, the discussion of the day. Like, that's why he was replying to someone as people were talking about the trial on social media. So he was very obviously exposed to the discourse surrounding the trial. It just seemed like kind of an inappropriate decision to make, but... It doesn't mean that I disbelieve Morgan, so I guess it ultimately doesn't matter. Here's what I'll say about the incident in question. First of all, like with the painting thing, I think it's a little weird that Johnny's response to the allegation was, well, Kelly was touching Amber in a way that was extremely sexual. So even as he's denying the violence, he's still saying in that previous incident, well, yeah, I didn't like that the painting was there. And then in this one, he's saying, well, yeah, Kelly Sue was touching Amber in a way I didn't like. Like, both of them confirm you being kind of a jealous person. Granted, I can't say that Kelly Sue wasn't touching Amber in an extremely sexual way. She very well might have. It might have been extremely inappropriate, and it might have made 
any partner uncomfortable if they're in a monogamous relationship, so who's to say? As far as the damage in the trailer, I don't know. I mean, clearly he broke the light off of the wall, no one is denying that. Any of the other damage? I don't know. Um, it's possible that there was more damage and they cleaned some of it up before he talked to the manager. It's possible that there was not any more damage and that Amber and all of her friends were exaggerating when they said that the trailer was trashed. But this one, I'm gonna give another question mark toward it since it's still kind of a he said, she said, but I'm leaning a little bit more toward Amber because it does definitely seem like Johnny's interactions with Kelly Sue might have been a little much because no one else around the situation at the time who testified ever said that, yeah, Kelly Sue was, like, trying to get in Amber's pants. The vibe was much more of Johnny overreacted. Does that mean that he trashed the cabin or that he ripped Amber's nightgown? I, I don't know. He's trashed hotel rooms before, so I think that's an indicator. But the dress? I don't know. Who's to say? Then on June 11th, Amber wrote an email to herself outlining her problems with hers and Johnny's relationship. She writes, quote, I just don't know if I can do this anymore. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Half of you I love madly. The other half scares me. I can't take him. I wish I could, but I can't. The problem is, I never really know slash understand which one I'm dealing with until it's too late. The drinking assures me that I am dealing with the monster, the abused, scared, insecure, violent little boy. I just can't tell where the line starts. Also, drugs seem to guarantee I will be forced to deal with the monster as well. Once again, it's knowing what slash how much slash and when, which makes all the difference. Sometimes the hangover the morning after is just as bad as the full-on disco bloodbath I've come to expect. You live in a world of enablers you cut out and resent. Whether you realize it or not, everyone who isn't an enabler, I can make a clear distinction as to who falls into which category with complete ease. I myself watch you pass out cold on the floor after drinking yourself sick in one of the times you cut yourself so badly that you needed stitches." Unquote. Now, since the email was never addressed to Johnny or sent to him, he told the UK court that he believes the message to be part of Amber's hoax, where she was building up a dossier of evidence to use later as an insurance policy, essentially framing him as an abuser. Also on June 11th, Johnny texted his friend Paul Bettany. Now, these text messages have become a pretty big point of conversation for the trial because they are, um, a little much. So Johnny says, let's burn Amber. Paul replies, having thought it through, I don't think we should burn Amber. She's delightful company and easy on the eye. Plus, I'm not sure she's a witch. We could, of course, try the English method of NB. I have a pool. Johnny. Let's drown her before we burn her. I will fuck her burnt corpse afterwards to make sure she is dead. Paul. My thoughts entirely. Let's be certain before we pronounce her a witch. So Depp has claimed that these texts were written with colorful language and referencing Monty Python, but they were not intended to express any violent behaviors from Mr. Depp to Miss Erd. This is the same thing with, like, the Kate Moss severely beating incident. I just, there's some things that I think I would not like my partner to joke about in relation to me. And I definitely would not like them to joke about fucking my burnt corpse. 
It's not a fetish that I have, and it's not something that I appreciate. But again, maybe this really is just his sense of humor, his colorful language. And according to Johnny, he was also letting off some steam because Amber had become very aggressive and insulting about his use of alcohol and drugs, and she did not like Mr. Bettany. That is what Johnny said. Now, in some ways, I can imagine, yeah, Amber has claimed that Paul was really enabling to Johnny, and a lot of the drinking and drug use that Johnny did, he would do with Paul, and if that was a problem in their relationship, that he would become violent when he was using, I get why Amber wouldn't want him hanging out with Paul. He's a bad influence, maybe. On the other hand, it's also possible that Paul was just a genuine cool friend that Johnny enjoyed hanging out with, and maybe Amber telling him not to hang out with Paul anymore was an effort to control him or isolate him from his friends. That is also possible. Isolation plays a big part in abuse. One thing, though, that I think is a little weird, and I put it on the page right here because that was where it got brought up in the UK court documents, but it's more of a general issue with their relationship, not something specifically related to this incident. But the court document writes, at another point in his cross-examination, Mr. Depp commented that he was twice the age of Miss Heard and her lectures were not appropriate. So again, the age gap here just keeps coming up. Morgan, the manager from Hicksville, he said that he thought it was weird to see Amber yelling at Johnny because Johnny was so much older than her. Johnny here himself is saying that Amber's lectures are not appropriate because he's twice the age of Amber. It very much seems like there's an assumption here that because Johnny is dating a younger woman, she should not ever be criticizing him. And maybe she was criticizing him excessively, and maybe she was doing it really aggressively and was verbally abusive, but to just attribute the inappropriateness of that to her age? That's a big old red flag for me. But let's move on. July 10th, 2013, Johnny sends a text to his sister Christy and says... Quote, it was not pleasant today. I wasn't aware she had another goddamn photo shoot tomorrow. That's really why she fucking left. I don't need actress bullshit and her fucking ambition. Unquote. Now, to me, this does seem like evidence of Johnny not approving of Amber's career. He's upset with her because she left because she had a photo shoot the next day. But, like, if she has a job, she has a job. And the line about her actress bullshit and fucking ambition... Do you not want your partner to be ambitious? And why? Why is that a problem? Especially when she's in the exact industry that you're in. Actress bullshit? You do actor bullshit. But whatever. Then October 11th, 2013, this text is not gonna really make much sense as far as its inclusion here until later. Um, but if you know about the case at all, you probably know where this is going. So October 11th, Johnny texted his assistant Stephen Duders, writing, quote, Will you squat in front of the door of the master bedroom and leave a giant coil of dookie so that Amber steps in it and thinks that one of the dogs, primarily Boo, has a major problem? It'll be funny, unquote. January 2014, the couple announces their engagement. Yay! Good idea, you guys. 
February 5th, 2014, Christy texted Johnny and said, Stop drinking, stop coke, stop pills. Christy would later go on to testify that she never witnessed her brother abusing drugs. She got this information from Heard, and she said in the U.S. trial that she could not remember the context of the text messages, so she's not sure what she actually meant by that stuff, which is a weird thing to say. I think the context would be pretty clear. I'd get if she was just like, oh, Amber lied to me about how much he was doing drugs. But to say that you don't know what you meant when you sent the text message... What could you mean? This is pretty, like, black and white. Stop drinking, stop coke, stop pills. What is the other option? Like, what What are all the interpretations of those messages? They seem pretty clear to me, but whatever. Then February 11th, 2014, Amber's sister texted Johnny. She wrote, By the way, you never responded to my other text. The Van P painting earned you 20 points in my book, Kunado. So this is a reference to an incident in which Johnny did vandalize a painting owned by Amber, changing the signature from Tasia Van Ray, but it's spelled as Van Re, to Tasia Van P. Now, that is very rude, but I guess at least it's better than lighting the painting on fire. Still, it does kind of add to the claim that Amber made about him threatening to light it on fire, because he was clearly upset about the painting's existence in her house, period. Johnny responded to Amber's sister saying, Subtle, eh? Made me laugh as I was doing it. Thanks, sweetheart. Can't stand that fucking hovering vulture. Then some point prior to May 24th, 2014, Amber alleged that Johnny had become jealous regarding her upcoming work with the actor James Franco. Amber had worked with James before on Pineapple Express, but she was doing another movie with him, and there were, I guess, romantic scenes between the two of them? I don't know. I didn't see whatever fucking movie this was. But Amber claimed that Johnny did not like her filming romantic scenes with other men, period, and specifically did not like James Franco. According to Johnny, though, he said that Amber referred to James Franco as creepy and rapey. Both of those things, I imagine, were true. James Franco definitely does have a creepy and rapey vibe. So according to Johnny, he was just being protective of Amber when he was criticizing her, I guess, for the romantic scenes. I don't know, because even if you're trying to protect her, like, she still has to do her job. Like, you know, it sucks for her that she's got to work with the creepy, rapey guy, but what are you gonna do? That's just Hollywood. On May 10th, 2014, Amber even sent an email to her then-assistant, Kate James, asking Kate to ensure that Depp didn't see any of the one-liners on her schedule, out of concern that he would notice the romantic nature of her scenes with James and become really angry. So that's not a good sign. That is not an indicator of a healthy relationship. It's gonna come back up in, like, a second, but first, let's acknowledge May 22nd, which is when Johnny had his first consultation with Dr. Kipper, who would go on to treat Johnny for the rest of this whole saga. Kipper wrote in his notes for that day, Mr. Depp is a 50-year-old man who has had a lifelong history of self-medicating behaviors, including multiple substances of abuse. These include alcohol, opiates, benzodiazepines, and stimulants then in parentheses, cocaine. Impression, chronic substance abuse disorder. Plan, 
maintain current dosing of roxycodone and clonopin. Discuss the withdrawal of these two drugs once patient is back in Los Angeles. I would not recommend withdrawal until he completes his current work, psychological counseling after he returns home from Boston and his medications have been properly adjusted. Two days later, on May 24th, 2014, we get the airplane incident. So during a trip from Boston to Los Angeles on a private plane, according to Amber, Johnny was heavily intoxicated and agitated. He began throwing objects at Amber. She eventually moved seats, and then he pushed her chair as she walked away, yelled at her, taunted her, and then later slapped her in the face, pushed her back so that she fell over, and then threw a boot at her while she laid on the ground. Johnny then yelled obscenities at Amber until going into the bathroom and passing out. This is then where we get the audio recording that was once an episode of this podcast where Johnny is, quote, howling in the bathroom. The next day, Johnny was apologetic and sent Amber a text via his assistant, Stephen Duders, saying that his illness crept up on him and that he would never display such behavior again. He wrote, quote, Once again, I find myself in a place of shame and regret. Of course, I am sorry. I really don't know why or what happened, but I will never do it again. I want to get better for you and for me. I must. My illness somehow crept up on me and grabbed me. I can't do it again. I can't live like that again. I know you can't either. I must get better and I will. For us both, starting today, I love you. Again, I am so sorry, so sorry. I love you and feel so bad for letting you down. Yours. So that was a text sent at 10 in the morning. Later at noon, he wrote, I see that understanding and forgiveness ain't on the menu. I'm disappointed to see that, but not too surprised, I suppose. About 30 minutes later, he wrote again, quote, I hear sadly through others that you will be flying back to NYC tonight. Unfair for you to run away, but perhaps you're right. Again, I'm sorry, but I don't deserve this. It's an ugly decision. This is my last text. I love you so much. Be well. JD. Amber also texted with Stephen himself, Johnny's assistant. Stephen wrote to Amber, think he's just texted you. He's incredibly apologetic and knows that he has done wrong. He wants to get better now. He's been very explicit about that this morning. Feel like we're at a critical juncture. Amber responded, yes, but I don't know how to be around him after what he did to me yesterday. I don't know if I can stay with him. Steven says, quote, he wants to see you so much. He's distraught. Amber, don't worry about the flights. I'll be taking care of them myself. Thank you. Look, he thinks he doesn't deserve this. Obviously, he has no idea what he did or to the extent that he did it. If someone was truly honest with him about how bad it really was, he'd be appalled and definitely wouldn't say to me that he doesn't deserve it. I'm sad that he doesn't have a better way to really know the severity of his actions yesterday. Unfortunately for me, I remember in full detail everything that happened. Stephen, he was appalled when I told you he kicked you. He cried. It was disgusting and he knows it. I wasn't with him when he sent you the second text. He read it to me and I said it was the wrong text to send. He then sent the third one and sat and cried again after on the bed. He's a little lost boy. He needs all the help he can get. He is so very sorry, as he should be. Amber, he's done this many times before. Tokyo, the island, London, remember that? And I always stay, always believe he's going to get better. And then every three months or so, I'm in the... That's where the screenshot cuts off, but I think we get where she was going with it. Now, according to Johnny, 
He admits that he was intoxicated and did black out during parts of the flight, but he said that he was never violent toward Amber. He had been sketching on the plane when Amber became verbally abusive to him, and in an effort to make peace with her, he attempted to playfully touch the bottom of Amber's foot with his own. However, that just made her even more upset. She continued berating Johnny until he took his pillow and slept in the bathroom to get away from her. Steven's text, as well as his own apologies, were just an effort to placate Amber by confessing to anything she alleged because he had been so gaslit by her throughout the relationship, he had learned this as a strategy to pacify her. In relation to the audio recording, he told the UK court that it might not be him in the audio file or that it wasn't from that specific incident. And that's a weird thing to say. <laughs> it's definitely you in the audio file. And what other incident would it be from? And how would that make it better? Whatever. Some other accounts. We have Stephen Duders, the assistant, who said that he had been instructed by Johnny to agree with whatever Amber said and placate her. He supports Johnny's account of events and claims to have never witnessed Johnny abusing Amber. Let's keep in mind, though, that Stephen works for Johnny. If anything that Johnny said wasn't true... Do you expect the assistant of Johnny Depp to say, oh yeah, my boss lied? He, he's got to keep his job, so. I find his testimony to be a little less reliable in that sense. Not saying that he's lying or that he's not trustworthy as a person. It's just something that I think we need to keep in mind when people's jobs and financial security is on the line. Like, if any of my free Britney people are listening, remember how frustrating we found it when... Places like CNN were only quoting people who worked for the conservatorship and were probably not gonna shit-talk Jamie Spears or the people that paid their salaries. And the same will be said with Keenan Wyatt, who was on this plane with them and is Johnny's on-set sound engineer and also just Johnny's friend. Keenan said that he never witnessed Johnny being violent on the plane. Instead, he saw Amber being quiet and pouty. He also said that when he noticed that Amber and Johnny were arguing, he went over to Amber and tried to say something to the effect of, you know he cares about you, to which Amber abruptly snapped and yelled, how dare you talk to me, get away from me. This was something used to paint Amber as just like a bitch, like, how dare you lowlife sound engineer talk to me. However, I have to say... If she's being honest and she had just been assaulted on that plane by her fiancé, if someone else who worked for her fiancé walked up to her and was like, well, you know he cares about you, I can't imagine that I in that situation wouldn't also snap and be like, fuck off. I'm allowed to be upset that I was just assaulted. And now whether or not the assault was true, the fact that Johnny responded in the way that he did does still give me indicators that he's kind of manipulative. He apologized in one text, then when she didn't respond a few hours later, said that, well, I guess understanding and forgiveness isn't on the menu. Disappointed to see that. Like, you shouldn't just apologize with the expectation that someone's gonna immediately forgive you. If you're really genuine in your apology, you'll just deal with it. And then, for him to say it's unfair of her to run away, and that he doesn't deserve this, it's an ugly decision that she decided to fly back to New York, that is also, like, really fucked up. 
you can't follow up an apology with like, okay, but you're now not talking to me, and that's like pretty fucked up of you. So I don't think I deserve that. Um, I take my apology back. He didn't. He didn't take his apology back, but that's how it feels. If you don't give someone the response that they're looking for and then they're suddenly upset with you, that's really manipulative and not not cool. So again, in this situation, I'm leaning Amber. Another thing that I think it's worth mentioning here is the fact that Johnny's account is pretty inconsistent. So while being examined initially during the trial in the UK, he said that he couldn't recall if he'd been under the influence of any substances during the flight, but a later text to Paul Bettany would pretty much just be evidence that he did use multiple substances prior to boarding the flight. And after being confronted with that, even though Johnny initially claimed to have a very detailed recollection of the flight, he backtracked and then acknowledged that he did black out during moments of the trip. How can you say for sure that you didn't assault someone if you don't even remember every part of the plane ride? A couple days later, still apparently upset about the fact that Amber flew back to New York and wasn't talking to him, he wrote to his sister, Christy, and said, No reason for her to speak to anyone, let alone a doctor. I'm out. I'm done. Her actions have added more drama than necessary. And when was I unhealthy exactly? When was I not sober for a day? Hmm, I guess that's what people call falling off the wagon. It happens to a lot of my friends. Their wives don't stop calling them. Again, it really seems like Johnny Depp just expects lifelong dedication from his partner to him, no matter what he does. He has pretty blatantly admitted that he was intoxicated and blacked out during the flight. If that upset Amber, you can't just be like, But she's my fiancé. She's not allowed to get mad at me. Yes, she is, Johnny. Yes, she is. On May 30th, Johnny texted Paul Bettany again and said, I'm gonna properly stop the booze thing, darling. Drank all night before I picked Amber up to fly to LA this past Sunday. Ugly mate. No food for days. Powders. Half a bottle of whiskey. A thousand Red Bull and vodkas. Pills. Two bottles of champers on plane. And what do you get? An angry acro, insert offensive slur for Native American here, in a fucking blackout, screaming obscenities and insulting any fuck who gets near. I'm done. I am admittedly too fucked in the head to spray my rage at the one I love. For little reason, I'm too old to be that guy. But pills are fine. Then, from August 14th to the 18th, 2014, we get the Bahamas trip. So, according to Amber, she was invited to join Johnny on a trip to detox and treat his substance abuse. During this trip, Amber said that Johnny suffered multiple manic episodes in which he pushed, kicked, and slapped her. When things got too problematic, she contacted Dr. Kipper, along with his nurses, to request their assistance. She wrote to Kipper and his team, stating, Issue has arisen again. He took the meds about 30 minutes ago, which seems to be the trend, as I reckon they haven't kicked in yet. All of a sudden, he's flipping again, just started screaming. He was so mad he pushed me and I asked him to get out. Don't know what else to do. Sorry to keep at you guys. Amber said she later left the trip when it appeared that her presence wasn't in Johnny's best interest. According to Johnny, he had not wanted Amber on the trip, but due to her intense fear of abandonment, she insisted on joining. At certain moments during his detox, Amber refused to give him medication that would reduce his withdrawal symptoms, and he was never violent toward her. She was verbally and physically abusive toward him. 
Also, the only reason Amber sent the text messages to Johnny's doctors was because she was still working on her insurance policy for her hoax. Now, a witness at this time, Tara Roberts, who was the estate manager of Johnny's home in the Bahamas, said that she did not see Johnny assault Amber at any time, nor did she see any injuries on Amber. Instead, she witnessed Amber become verbally abusive toward Johnny, calling him a washed-up actor who was going to die a lonely old man. Tara also said at one point she saw Johnny with a gash on his nose, which he claimed to come from Amber throwing a can at his face. Now, before I give you my opinion on this one, we've got two other points to consider. Number one is Amber's inconsistencies. So initially, when she testified, she claimed that there was a door that Johnny damaged during their time in the Bahamas. She provided a picture of the door and the damage, but it was later found under further investigation that the photo appeared to be from a different house, and Tara Roberts said that she never saw any door being damaged on the island, and as the estate manager, you'd have to assume that she would have noticed. Amber said that she probably just got the event confused with another one. Maybe. I don't know. But that is to be noted. Amber submitted a photo of a door that was not on the Bahamas Island. The other thing to consider is Johnny's detox. So, Johnny described Amber's conduct on this trip as being, quote, one of the cruelest things she's ever done, unquote. Under cross-examination in the UK, though, Johnny was questioned about Hurd's actions and their harm to him, and it kinda seems like Amber was just following the orders of Johnny's doctors and was also in regular contact with them. There are a lot of text messages between Amber and Johnny's medical team. At no point does it seem like Amber was just going rogue and doing anything that wasn't under the medical supervision of his doctors. So during his questioning in the UK, Depp and an attorney for the defense went back and forth. Johnny said, there were incidents where, for example, the time allotted for me to take my medication by the nurse or by Miss Heard, if it were 4 p.m. on the dot to take those and it was 3.15 and I began to get the heebie-jeebies, I have told Miss Heard that I needed the meds as it was starting to come on. The shakes, the stomach cramps, everything started to come on. And I told her it was time for the meds, I needed the meds, and she looked at the clock and said, no, 4 o'clock. The attorney responded, right, so can I just recap what you are saying? Because Miss Heard followed the letter of the instructions that she was given to give your medication at 4 o'clock and did not do what you asked for to give it at 3.15, you described that as one of the cruelest things she has ever done. Is that right? Is that what you were referring to when you were talking about the cruelest thing she has ever done? Johnny says, yes, that is. My body was needing the medication to stop the onslaught of this rush of nerves towards the receptors and I was not in good shape. For someone to be as low... It is the lowest point I believe I have ever been in my life on the floor sobbing like a child and still would not receive the meds. Look, this to me sounds like an addict going through recovery, having to deal with withdrawal symptoms, which can fucking suck. I've never had to deal with them personally, but from what I've read, they're not fun. They really, really hurt. And you're gonna want to relapse. I think that Amber was probably just trying her best to do what the doctors told her, and that sucked for Johnny in the moment, because he was in pain, as you are when you go through withdrawal. And instead of taking that as, Amber was helping me, he blamed her for it. And I think that he likely 
lashed out physically. I don't know to what degree that happened, but given everything and the fact that he called this the cruelest thing she had ever done to him, I think he was probably in a mental state in which he was just in such severe pain. He, something happened, you know? I mean, I don't want to excuse it, because there's no excuse, but I would understand, kind of, if something happened, he owned up to it and was like, yeah, I was, I was really fucked up and I was in a lot of pain. Like, if anyone was going to give you a pass for any physical abuse, I could maybe see it more like when you're detoxing. And to that point, I don't disbelieve the claim that Amber threw a can at him. There will be later audio clips where they mention her throwing a can at him, so makes sense to me. I think they were both probably acting violent in this situation because it was a tense, bad situation to be in in the first place. Then on August 18th, 2014, Dr. Kipper sent an email to Johnny's sister, Christy. I'm going to read what I have, but just so you know, my source for the email was a transcript from questioning in the UK trial, and when the attorneys were quoting it, they didn't read, like, the entire thing, so it's a little split into fragments. But it says, Christy, I am alerting you to some concerning issues that arose last night after we spoke. But he has never made clear about how much he wanted to do it for himself, and he gave what seemed lip service, referencing these folks, Elton John and Chuck. I don't know who Chuck is. More for their celebrity than their struggle was with sobriety. There is also an issue of patience, and is quite childlike in his reaction when he does not get immediate satisfaction. Kipper also wrote at some point in the email that Johnny quote, actually romanticizes the entire drug culture and has no accountability for his behaviors, unquote. On August 19th, 2014, Johnny sent a text to Amber's mother, where he talks about his time detoxing on the island. He said, I couldn't have made it without her. I would have gone for a swim and swallowed a big drink of ocean without her, to be honest. It was a hell of my own doing that your little girl walked through with me step by step. I know you're already proud of her, but if you'd seen her in action, amazing. It was an exercise of monumental patience and instinct. I wouldn't be alive, sweetheart. There were more than a few times when I thought it would be more simple to take that route. It was Amber and Amber only that got me through this, and it was not easy. So at some point after this, Johnny hires some additional doctors to become a part of the couple's shared medical team. So all of them were working under Dr. Kipper, and Johnny was paying for the entirety of the team. On August 27th, 2014, we have a note from Amber psychologist, Dr. Cowan, who described Amber saying, quote, She has insight into her short temper and insecurities. She has no effective self-soothing techniques other than to engage JD in reassurances, unquote. Now, a few months after coming off of his detox... Johnny sent another text on October 4th, 2014, to an unidentified phone number which says, I am going to, quite gracefully, glide into a massage of my broken back and neck. I shall exit in one hour a monster. Shall we swallow an E each, or perhaps it's MDNA, at around 8 p.m. and go to dinner with a few of my wee team at a wonderful Peruvian spot? Let us enjoy this night, my brother. Let us reward ourselves for the hard work and the misery of the heat that we push ourselves to conquer every goddamn day, the shatter. Then on October 29th, 2014, we have yet another text that just makes sense if you know about later events. 
So Amber texted Kevin Murphy, an estate manager for one of Johnny Depp's properties, and she said, last night she shit on Johnny while he was sleeping, like all over him, not exaggerating. The she in this case, to be clear, was their dog Boo, so keep that in your mind for later. Then January 14th, 2015, we have the Tokyo incident. This one's kind of brief, so Amber says that at some point during their trip to Tokyo, which Johnny's children were accompanying them on, Amber said something that upset Johnny, causing him to become violent and abusive. He slapped her, grabbed her, stood over her as she cried, and was, of course, under the influence of drugs and or alcohol at the time. Now, Johnny denied this, saying that he was not under the influence of any illicit substances because he would not do that with his children present on the trip. He would never be heavily intoxicated with them in neighboring hotel rooms. January 27th, 2015, we have a message from Dr. Kipper to Dr. Cowan, and this is regarding a prenup and the fighting between Amber and Johnny ahead of their marriage. So Kipper wrote, Amber and JD have been fighting nonstop since he confirmed his need for a prenup on the way to the airport. She tried to push up the date of the wedding to avoid all this, but the reality is he will need a prenup. If she fails to sign, they won't get married. Both behaved like super triple DD types, complete with thrown coffee, attempts by him to storm the cockpit, attempts by her to leave the plane while they were over the fucking ocean, etc. So at this point, I think that the relationship is pretty volatile. I don't know who was throwing the coffee in this instance, but both of them being on the plane trying to storm the cockpit or walk out, not good. Amber has since denied that she was ever trying to stop Johnny from getting a prenup and said that, in fact, she wanted a prenup, but Johnny didn't like it and threatened to rip up any draft she made. So, they went forward with the wedding anyway, with no prenup. The couple married on February 3rd. What a brilliant idea. Johnny claimed in court that his daughter, Lily Rose, did not appear as a guest at the wedding because she didn't get along with Amber. He said that his son Jack also didn't like Amber and that his kids were smarter than him. But these claims have been questioned by some, as Lily Rose did text her father in February of 2014, saying that Amber had had a positive effect on Johnny, who'd become a better dad since meeting her. Now, this doesn't mean that by the wedding, this was the case. It is perfectly normal for people to change their minds. Maybe Lily Rose loved Amber at first and then hated her. I don't know. That's, that's fine. Relationships go through ups and downs. I just bring this up because all the allegations are coming from other people, but Lily Rose and Jack have not actually spoken on it themselves. When the allegations of abuse came out from Amber, Lily Rose did post something on her Instagram which said that her father was, quote, the sweetest, most loving person she knows, unquote. So that was seen by a lot of people as her supporting her dad against the abuse allegations, but she really hasn't said much other than that. So I really don't feel comfortable saying one way or the other whether or not Amber gets along with Johnny's kids. Don't know. Then after the wedding, on February 27th, 2015, Johnny texted his assistant Nathan Holmes requesting happy pills. When asked about this in the UK court, he said that the happy pills were referring to pills prescribed by Dr. Kipper such as Xanax and Adderall, 
because his body was not producing the required serotonin. He said he did not know that happy pills were slang for ecstasy. Yet again, for every time that Amber has been accused of being untruthful in the courts, you cannot tell me that this 50-year-old man who has been doing drugs since he was 12 and said that he took every drug that he was aware of by 15 didn't know that happy pills referred to ecstasy. That's just absolutely absurd. He knew, and that is undoubtedly what he was asking for. So at this point, we can pretty much say Johnny's sobriety is out the window. He is not sober whatsoever. Then a few days following, on March 3rd, he texted Nathan again, and when Nathan expressed some concern about how fast Johnny was going through cocaine, the two of them had the following exchange. Johnny, I don't need you for that. No more. Nathan, I'm sorry you feel that way. Johnny, no you're not. Why? This is not part of the job description. And I'm telling you now, any one of any of you guys start to lecture me, I just do not want to hear it. No stupid bullshit about sappy bollocks. Nathan, I am not and never would lecture you. Have I not been helping? I'm trying to keep the supply coming, but it's not the same here. Sorry. Johnny, I am a grown fucking man and I will not be judged. Nathan, I have never judged you and never will. I fucking love you and do everything I can to make you happy. Johnny, and I will never, ever live in this world cage any longer. Nathan, do you honestly think I ever want to upset you? You have been nothing but good to me for my entire career. It is because of you that I am still in this industry. I only want you to be happy. Johnny, I'll do whatever I damn well please. Nathan, I would encourage you to do it. You are my legend. Fuck Disney. I know you will. And I will never stop you from doing whatever you please. Johnny. That's very sweet, and you know I love you. Nathan. I know you do. That's why it upsets me when you get like this. You know I would die for you, for your kids. I will do anything in my power ever to make you happy. Anything. Then, in March of 2015, we have the Australia incident. I'm not sure on the exact dates, but probably after that conversation with Nathan. And Amber's account goes like this. The couple started arguing because Johnny brought out a bag of MDNA, and Amber was concerned about his drug usage. After that, Johnny became angry and began slapping, pushing, and shoving Amber before she locked herself in a bedroom. Johnny then stayed up all night and took approximately eight MDNA pills, which he washed down with alcohol. Over the following three nights, the couple continued fighting, and Johnny became increasingly violent, grabbing her by the neck and shoving her against furniture. At one point, Johnny ripped Amber's nightgown, grabbed her breasts, and then strangled her before raping her with a glass bottle. Eventually, Amber took an Ambien and went to sleep. When she woke up, Johnny had cut his finger and had written various messages throughout the home with both his blood as well as oil paint. Messages included things like, Starring Billy Bobby Easy Amber, which indicated Johnny's paranoid belief that Amber was having an affair with Billy Bob Thornton, and good luck, be careful at the top, which mocked Amber's ambition as an actress. Johnny also attempted to write other messages with his urine. According to Johnny, however, Amber discovered that Johnny was intending to get a postnup agreement since the couple never got a prenup. She was also upset that she was not yet in Johnny's will. The fighting escalated until Amber became extremely violent, and she wouldn't allow Johnny to retreat from the argument. She hit him, threw things at him, put a lit cigarette out on his face, 
and then at some point threw two vodka bottles at him, which cut off the tip of his finger, though he would later tell doctors that he injured his finger with a knife to protect her. Johnny did write the messages in blood and oil paint, but he only did this because he was in shock. He does not claim, though, to have written Call Carly Simon on the mirror, as the photographs from the incident displays. He believes that Amber wrote that since she always has to have the last word. Johnny also said that he did not take any MDNA pills, especially eight, because that would be extremely dangerous and could possibly kill him. A majority of the damage in the home was caused by Amber, with the exception of the graffiti. Now, on my page, you can see photos from both the home and Johnny Depp's finger being cut off. It's pretty gross. Personally, I don't know that throwing two vodka bottles could make an injury like that, but I've also never had any vodka bottles thrown at me, so what do I know? So Malcolm Connolly, who was a security guard for Johnny, said that when he showed up at the scene, Johnny was coherent and did not appear to be under the influence of any substance. Connolly also said that Johnny had told him that Amber put a cigarette out on its face, and he did notice a red mark on Johnny's cheek. He said he did not see any visible injuries on Amber, however, he was only around her for about 30 minutes and did not stand very close to her. Stephen Duders, Johnny's assistant, said that Johnny later told him that Amber had been responsible for the injury to his finger. Then Ben King, who was another one of Johnny's estate managers, said that Amber did have cuts on one of her arms, which looked like cuts in fairly uniform lines at a sort of diagonal angle downwards. He said he did not smell any urine in the home, and on the flight out of Australia, Amber asked him, have you ever been so angry with someone that you just lost it? The medical staff at the hospital that treated Johnny said that when he arrived, he said that his finger had been cut with a knife, but in the notes from the doctors, they wrote that the injury was more proximately suggestive of a crushing mechanism. The doctor that treated Johnny specifically wrote in their notes, Johnny has an unclear history of traumatic event with no witnesses, patient under the influence and not coherent nor sure of mechanism. When she arrived home, Amber saw her sister Whitney and Whitney testified to seeing Amber's lips very swollen and busted up and said she had cuts on her arm like gashes. Rocky Pennington also testified to seeing Amber's injuries a few days after the incident and again said that there were gashes on Amber's arms from her wrists to her elbows and saw cuts on the bottoms of Amber's feet, which Amber said was from the broken glass on the floor. Then a little while after the incident, we have a text from Johnny's assistant Stephen to Johnny's sister Christy, where Stephen wrote, Hi C, not sure how much you are aware of right now, but I am at the house with Kipper and Debbie Lloyd who are speaking with JD and Amber respectively, separately. Obviously, things have not been calm over the last day or so. Apparently, he has been making calls to LA, but I am not aware of the particulars there as well. There has been fighting between the two here. So Kipper is now talking to JD, hoping to get through to him, and explain to him that this period needs to end now before we get into real trouble. I'll keep you posted on the outcome. The good news is, thus far, that JD did not cancel this meeting and that he is engaging in conversation. We'll see how far that goes, and we'll do whatever else we need to do. Then three hours later, Stephen wrote again, Well, conversations seem to be going well. JD is agreeing to all that Kipper is requesting he do in order to turn himself around. 
Of course, we've heard that before, so we'll see. They are now sat with Amber as well, but look to be wrapping up soon, more shortly. So at that point, it seems like Johnny was receiving some sort of intervention, probably just to stop his drug usage, that's how it reads to me, which also points to Christy maybe being a little dishonest about Amber being the only person who was telling her that her brother had problems with substance abuse. Seems like she was aware of some other stuff, but, you know, moving on, we have some other text messages. So, on March 8th, 2015, Johnny texted Kipper in regards to Amber, saying, Hi, fucked man. Had another one. I cannot live like this. She is as full of shit as a Christmas goose. I'm done. No more. The constant insults, the demeaning, belittling, most heartbreaking spew that is only released from a malicious, evil, and vindictive cunt. But you know what? Far more hurtful than her venomous and degrading endless educational ranting is her hideous and purposefully hurtful tirades and her goddamn shocking treatment of the man she was meant to love above all. Here's the real deal, mate. Her obsession with herself is far more important. She is so fucking ambitious. She's so desperate for success and fame. That's probably why I acquired, mate. Although she has hammered me with what a sad old man has been I am. Cowan has done me the most cruel of favors. I'm so very sad. I cut the top of my finger off. What should I do except, of course, go to a hospital? I'm so very embarrassed for jumping into anything with her. Then on the same day, Johnny texted Nathan Holmes again and said, Need more whitey stuff ASAP, brother man. And the e-business. Please, I'm in bad, bad shape. Say nothing to nobody. So the day before, he had gotten an intervention from his medical staff. And now he is texting Nathan Holmes to get him more cocaine. And say nothing to nobody. Then a note from Dr. Cowan from March 8th writes, They are fighting relationship volatile and destructive to any sense of growing trust. Her coping skills seem minimal. Big event that turned angry. They are both volatile and she doesn't back down when confronted. I understand he badly injured his hand. Now we've got a few inconsistencies to get through. So, in Ben King's testimony in the UK trial... At first, he claimed that Amber had no injuries after the alleged incident. However, in a follow-up interview, he did say that Amber had scratch marks on one of her arms. Then we have the inconsistencies with the graffiti. So, Johnny claimed that Amber had been the one to write, Call Carly Simon, because she wanted to have the last word. He says she did this after she woke up and discovered the messages he'd left. However, he confesses to writing all the messages written in black prior to Heard waking up. Call Carly Simon was written in red, and it is very plainly underneath the black paint. So, how could it have been placed after Johnny's initial vandalism, and how could it have been Amber's attempt to have the last word if it's under what he wrote? Then next we have the inconsistent reports of Johnny's coherence. So... Johnny said that Amber caused most of the damage in the home, but that he vandalized the house with his messages because he was in shock from the injury to his finger. That would imply that he was in a state in which he was not thinking clearly, caused by Amber's assault on him. In his examination during the UK trial, though, it was put to Johnny that he was severely injured and didn't know what he was doing, to which Johnny replied, I knew exactly what I was doing. That statement kind of implies that Johnny's vandalism was a deliberate act of aggression and not something just done out of shock. 
And I gotta say, for someone to go through and wipe their blood on the wall and then stick their injured finger into paint and then continue writing messages throughout the home, that doesn't say to me that that is a mentally stable person. That tells me that Johnny was severely fucked up, and I don't think it's the kind of fucked up that simply injuring your finger would do. You know? Like, if you're a completely coherent and sober person, and someone throws glass at you and it cuts your finger off, would your next move be... I'm gonna stick my finger in paint, and I'm gonna write on the walls with my blood and paint? No, that's not the mark of a stable person. Most of us would just get our finger and go to the hospital, but that is not what Johnny did. And I don't think that that's shock. I think that that's something else. We also have an audio recording from right after this incident. Now, the entire audio recording, I guess, is about five hours long. I can't find anything other than, like, a 30-minute clip. So if anyone knows where those other four and a half hours are, I would love to hear them. Well, actually, that's not true. I don't want to hear them, but I will listen to them because I've come this far. But in the clip that we do have, it sounds like someone's phone was just left recording. I believe that it's Amber's phone is what... The consensus is Amber left her phone recording, and you can hear Johnny's bodyguards and the medical staff coming onto the scene, not knowing they're being recorded, and they are looking for the tip of Johnny's finger. Yet again, if Johnny wasn't fucked up on substances, I have to imagine he would know where the fuck his finger is. You'd probably try to keep track of that, right? Even in a fight, even when you're, like, really amped up and emotional, if you notice that your finger got cut off, would you not look for it and grab it? Like, how do they not know where the finger is? So anyway, Johnny leaves the scene early in the recording. Amber can be heard in the background a couple times, but she kind of goes in and out. In the beginning, you can hear her yelling, I love him, I never meant to hurt him, I didn't do it. She also says that she doesn't want to leave Johnny because she's worried that if she does, she'll never see him again. But the rest of the staff is trying to get her on a plane to go home and then get Johnny to a doctor with his finger that they're still looking for. So at one point, Jerry Judge, who is another one of Johnny's bodyguards, he is no longer with us, but he is on this recording. He said while on the phone with Johnny's sister, Christy, I've seen Johnny hurt. I've never seen him this hurt ever. I'm not saying that he wrecked the place. I mean, it's wrecked. The window's broken, the TV, she did it. There was a cup thrown, it missed. There's bottles thrown, and she, she admits to me she threw the first, she threw a bottle at him. She did it first. She admits to me that. Judge also says that Amber has scratches on her arm, but he says that they look self-inflicted. And Amber apparently told Judge that Johnny had been the one to put the cigarette out on his own face while he was fucked up on various substances. They talk about plans to get Amber on a plane and say that she was already given medication by Nurse Lloyd, which would make her sleep for about two to three hours. Judge also mentioned something about Amber calling Johnny a fat old man, and then Amber was mad at Judge for telling Johnny's sister, Christy. At some point, they find Johnny's finger, and then Judge tells Stephen Duders that there's about 
50000 to $70,000 worth of damage in the house. He says Johnny drank everything in the last week and repeats Amber's claim that he had taken about 8 to 10 ecstasy tablets. Judge says, I'm frightened. If someone keeps supplying him, he's gonna OD on this. When I came down to help him, he was drinking, okay? He calmed down, he did stop drinking for Kipper, and then he picked up one of the bottles and threw it through the window. I found bottles that were empty, and David's not done yet. And David said it hasn't been poured down the sink. But when I got here, Amber was stone-cold sober. She doesn't smell of booze. Steven, if you were here now and listened to the way she's talking to me, everything that's happened here is completely Johnny's fault. So it's interesting here to note what Judge told Stephen and what Judge told Christy. Now, with Christy, he said that Amber did it. There was a cup thrown, it missed, there's been bottles thrown, and she admits to me she threw the first bottle. She did it first, she admits to me that. But then with Stephen, he says, if you were here now and listen to the way she's talking to me, everything that happened here is Johnny's fault. So, which is it? Did Amber admit to doing this shit? Or is she saying that it's all Johnny's fault? There seems to be a mix of reports, and uh, maybe just some discrepancies on what different people were told, even by the same person. I don't know why. Maybe they don't want Christy to like Amber? I have no clue. That's just my speculation. It just seems weird to me that there is such a discrepancy in what one party is told from another. Later, you can hear Judge talking to Ben King, and to Ben King, he again says Amber, quote, did it. This is either a reference to a cup being thrown at a TV because they had just mentioned that, or Judge is asserting that Amber is responsible for a lot of the damage in the home, or all of it. I don't know. And we can't ask Mr. Jerry Judge because he is gone. At some point, Ben King says that there's probably more than $75,000 worth of property damage, and it's decided that Ben King will be the one to travel with Amber on the way back home. Toward the end of the recording, you can hear Amber re-entering the scene. She has two bags with her that she comments on. She says that they used to hold cocaine, and says that Johnny's been hiding cocaine from her, despite already taking Xanax, Adderall, Ecstasy, and hallucinogens. She then says, I hate that he hates me. I hate that I'm the one that has to deal with all the hurt. You know, I mean, I hate that I'm the element that really sets it off. I hate that, Jerry. I don't want to be that. I really hate it. Jerry, my heart's already broke, and I feel like I'm not going to get him back. So if you want to hear my take on this, first of all, absolutely, I do believe that Johnny was on ecstasy. I don't believe any claim that he was sober. He was certainly 100% doing drugs and almost certainly ecstasy, considering he had texted Nathan just a few days prior to get those happy pills. He was probably also on other things as well. As far as the eight pills of ecstasy, I don't know. I've never done ecstasy before, so I don't know how many is too many. But it sounds like he was pretty fucked up, so maybe, maybe he was on eight to ten pills. As far as the assaults, I think for sure the two had fights that were physical. I don't know who initiated the violence. There are recordings later that will indicate that Amber was the first to throw things. So maybe she initiated it, but it's also possible that he might have hit her first. I don't know. But I do think it's more likely that the fight was about Johnny's drug use rather than it being about their post-nup. 
with the finger? I... I don't think either of them knows what happened to the finger, to be honest. I think that Johnny was incredibly inebriated. I think that he did not notice when he originally cut his finger. Or he did notice but didn't care. And I don't think he's really aware of how it happened. I also, I'm not a medical expert, but the cut seems to me to be so severe that I'm not sure a shard of glass from a broken vodka bottle would do that much damage. And Amber Heard's team did have a doctor testify and say that he doesn't think that either. Now that doctor did not treat Johnny, so he does not know specifically what happened. He just looked at the medical records from the injury. But even the notes from the doctor that treated Johnny said that it was more approximate of a crushing mechanism, not a cut. Amber believes that he might have done this at some point when he was smashing a phone on the wall. That seems a little more likely to me, but I don't think either of them knows. I think that it all got lost in just the fucking chaos of that weekend. And later, Johnny decided that it was Amber's fault, and so he blamed it on the vodka bottles that she threw. And I do think that she did throw those vodka bottles. Now, whether or not I think Amber was raped, I'm not sure. Um, I would kind of just say yes, because I don't... I, I mean, I just don't want to believe, really, that someone would lie about that. And lying about that is also incredibly, incredibly rare. But in this case, it doesn't totally match up with other behaviors of Johnny's. That doesn't mean that it didn't happen. I, again, I kind of think it did. But, you know, I'm just trying to be fair here. If Johnny's accusation is that Amber is just a complete liar and she makes things up, then yeah, I guess it's possible. But also, if she was gonna make shit like that up, I would think that it'd be a more consistent accusation. Like, she alleges that he was physically violent toward her multiple times throughout the relationship, but only has alleged rape once. And I think if she's really that evil, why stop yourself there? Say he did it all the time. Like, uh, if she's really trying to frame him, why is she being so sparing with the rape accusations? I don't know. For the sake of fairness, I guess I should acknowledge, though, that she did only say this in the U.S. trial and not the U.K. trial, but also, like, maybe she didn't want to tell people at the time that she was a rape victim. I don't fault her for not mentioning that. I mean, people would try to say that that's an inconsistency, but I don't think she owes that story to anyone, so yeah, I, I think it happened. You can click off the podcast now if that really pisses you off, but I don't know what to say. I mean, there's clearly a pattern of abuse here, and I won't say that Amber never participated in any abusive behaviors herself, but Johnny just seems like he was not well at the time. He seems incredibly unstable, and I also don't really trust his memory of events. Like, even if I trust that Johnny does not recall doing any of these things, all evidence still points to he was really fucked up on substances. I, there, that's unavoidable. That is absolutely true. He was high out of his fucking mind. Why else would he fucking write messages on the walls in his blood and paint? So maybe Johnny doesn't remember doing any of that stuff to Amber, but he also didn't remember where the fuck his finger was when they were looking for it. So, you know? And on March 23rd, we have the staircase incident. 
So this starts with Amber allegedly discovering text messages which indicated that Johnny had been cheating on her with a woman named Rochelle. When she confronted Johnny, he became violent and began smashing things in the apartment. Amber then went next door to the penthouse her sister was staying in. And there, Amber's sister, Whitney, tried to stop the fight between Amber and Johnny by getting in between them. And at some point, Johnny hit Whitney, which then made Amber freak out, especially because Whitney was standing at the top of the staircase and was worried that Johnny would accidentally push Whitney down the stairs. This is where we also get the claim that Johnny had pushed Kate Moss down the stairs previously, though Kate Moss has denied that. But Amber said that she had been worried about that because she had heard that somewhere. Where that somewhere was, I don't know. But this is the only time that Amber really admitted to striking Johnny in a way that wasn't just in self-defense. And she said she did that because she was worried about Whitney's safety. After a bit of time, Johnny's security guard Travis, as well as Nurse Lloyd, removed Johnny from the penthouse. And then at some point later that day, Johnny went into the penthouse Whitney had been staying in and destroyed a collection of Amber's clothing that were kept there. So that's what Amber alleges. Now what Johnny alleges is that Amber was the one to initiate the argument and become violent. He says that she threw a Red Bull can at him and punched him in the face, leaving visible swelling. Travis intercepted a purse that Amber threw at Johnny, and Johnny did not retaliate with any violence at all. His hand was still in a cast from the injury to his finger, meaning that he wouldn't have been capable of hitting her. Shortly after, Johnny left with Nurse Lloyd and Travis, and Johnny did not do any damage to the penthouse or to Amber's clothing. That was done by Amber as another part of her insurance policy. So according to witnesses, first we have Whitney, Amber's sister. She says that Johnny did hit Amber and was pulling her hair. He also did have a cast on his arm, but he used his non-injured hand to grab Amber, then hit her with the casted arm. She said Johnny was drinking from a whiskey bottle at the time, and he was the one to throw the Red Bull can at both Whitney and Amber. It missed them, but it hit Nurse Lloyd. However, Nurse Lloyd did not seem to react or even notice that she'd been hit. She says that Amber does not drink Red Bull, and so she would not have had a can of Red Bull to throw. And she said that Amber also did not have her purse at the time. She was in her pajamas still. Whitney later discovered the damage that had been done to her penthouse and the clothes that Amber had kept there, which she texted to Kevin Murphy, Johnny's estate manager. After that, Whitney says that she was asked to sign an NDA about the incident, but she refused. Around this time, Whitney said that Johnny became convinced that she was spreading rumors about Amber and Johnny to the press or leaking things about their relationship, which then caused a rift between Whitney and Amber. Whitney says that none of the things that Johnny said were true, but that she believes that he was trying to create a rift between the two of them because he didn't want her around if she wasn't going to comply with his wants, such as signing an NDA. The penthouse that Whitney had been staying in was owned by Johnny, and quickly after the staircase incident, Whitney moved out. Then we have the account of Johnny's security guard, Travis, who said that he did not remember what Amber and Depp were fighting about on that day, nor did he recall any accusation of infidelity. He said he brought Nurse Lloyd to the penthouse where they met Amber in the building lobby. He then went up to speak with Johnny. Amber and Lloyd followed. 
and then once Amber entered the apartment, the fighting began and escalated quickly. He said he witnessed Amber hitting Johnny, and Johnny was not violent toward Amber, and it was only her who had to be restrained once security got involved. Nurse Lloyd says that she did not recall any specifics from the incident, but denies being hit by a Red Bull can thrown by Johnny. I find it hard to believe that she doesn't recall anything, but, you know, protect yourself from perjury. I, I can't say that I don't respect it. We do have some other things to consider, though. So, the next day, Nurse Lloyd texted Stephen, Johnny's assistant, and said, Bad night last night. They got into it and it got violent again. I had to separate them. I was there at 1.30 to give him a shot. He said she was trying to start. He took his meds and went to bed, but then she found the text to Rochelle and all hell broke loose. He had Travis get me back there around 4. Good thing he called or they would have hurt each other. We had to physically restrain both of them. So this contradicts Travis's account saying that only Amber had to be restrained and that Johnny was never violent toward Amber in this situation because this text definitely implies that both Johnny and Amber engaged in violent behavior. I would also like to acknowledge too that it says she found the text to Rochelle. The text. Does that not imply that Johnny's team knew about the texts? Like, she says it as if it was a known thing. And we also have Whitney's text messages to Kevin Murphy with the photos of the damaged penthouse and Amber's clothes. And in the UK trial, there was also a slight inconsistency with Travis's account, but it was kind of small. It was, at first he said that him and Nurse Lloyd enter the residence, and then later he said that he went up there alone, and he didn't have a satisfactory explanation for the difference in accounts. The judge in the UK said that that affected the weight he gave Travis's account in the evidence, but, I mean, it's a small little mistake. It was a while ago. Like, if this was 2015, the UK trial didn't start until 2020, so, you know, five years, he doesn't remember. I'm not gonna hold him to that. But I, I do think that he is lying about Johnny not being violent. I think they were probably both violent in that situation. I mean, Nurse Lloyd said it herself. They had to restrain both of them. Now, we also have the account of a woman named Jennifer Howell, who was Whitney's boss, who let Whitney live with her in the short time after Whitney moved out of Johnny's penthouse. Now, Jennifer claims that Whitney told her that Amber was the aggressor in that situation and that Amber was the abusive party throughout the relationship overall, and she didn't know why Johnny stayed with Amber. So that does contradict Whitney's account, but I will also mention that in the testimony Jennifer Howell gave, she also just mentions the fact that when Amber was donating her divorce settlement to charity, she was kind of upset that Amber hadn't donated it to the organization that she ran. So I'm not saying for sure that Jennifer is making that up because that's an extreme thing to do if you're upset at someone for not donating money to your organization. But it also was a weird thing for her to bring up, period. And it does make me think that there's some, like, weird amount of resentment toward Amber. But I don't know. Then April 15th, 2015, Amber walked the Tribeca Film Festival red carpet, where you can see some injuries on Amber's arm. Likely the injuries described in the Australia incident from the month prior. 
on July 27th, 2015, we have the train incident. So while on a train ride, I believe for their honeymoon, Amber and Johnny got into an argument, of course, and Amber described the incident in a diary entry the following day, so I'll read that. After three hours of sleep and a terrible fight we got into last night, we are both walking zombies today. A night that ended at 3.30 and was brutally interrupted by the train's imminent arrival to the Singapore station too early in the morning. After three hours of sleep, it has felt like an even more brutal heart hangover. But last night was particularly bad. We finally fell asleep with one another, smashed together in a desperate childlike anger, fear, and love, finally succumbing to exhaustion and ultimately unavoidable futility. Our fight was terrible. Jay finally at one point found himself with his shirt wrapped around my neck. Amazing to think about the precision slash coordination that required considering the circumstances. He hit me several times. I don't even know how I wound up with this huge, rather annoying knot on the back of my head. Fuck. I hate that it... And there's some indecipherable text there. I hate that I allow it by never using that as a line for which I stand my ground. Where are my cones? Do I have any left? And according to Johnny, he was never violent toward Amber during their trip and said that it was in fact she who had attacked him. He submitted a photo which shows him with an injury under his eye, which he said came from a punch that Amber landed on his face. Now, something about this photo. It is got a clear kind of saturation on it, a filter. And it is different from the one that Amber submitted to the court, where his eye injury is a little bit less pronounced. Johnny's team alleges that Amber's team edited the photo to hide Johnny's injury. However, the company that operates the train that Amber and Johnny were on actually posted that photo, the one that looks kind of just like the one that Amber submitted, to their Facebook in August of 2015. And Johnny's injury is kind of hard to see. Personally, I find it harder to believe that Amber edited that photo because I don't know how the train company would have gotten it for their Facebook. And also, it just looks like a photo with increased saturation. Like, Johnny's photo does not look like it would be original. It looks like there's a filter on it. And there are other photos prior to the train ride which show him with pretty much the same little dark spot under his eye, implying that he went on to the train with those injuries. Amber didn't do that to him. So for this instance, I'm going Team Amber again. Then on August 29th, we have an email from Johnny to Tracy Jacobs, his agent at the time, in which he is threatening to ruin the producers of the film London Fields if footage of his was not removed from the film along with any of the scenes that Amber filmed nude. So this is further evidence that Johnny really did not like Amber filming nude scenes and was literally threatening people to get them taken out of a movie, presumably against Amber's will. Then mid-September 2015, we have another audio recording. This one is between Amber and Johnny. It takes place in Toronto. Amber is upset that Johnny wants to leave to go to a party. She feels like she's not really made a priority in his life and that he abandons her whenever she's upset about something. The arguing escalates. Johnny throws off his wedding ring. Amber says that Johnny had been in a good mood earlier and was really affectionate toward her, and now she's 
frustrated because his attitude has shifted very dramatically where he's throwing off his wedding ring. Johnny then accuses Amber of constantly insulting him, which she denies. Johnny mentions something about Amber smacking him in the ear, which she responds to by telling him that she loves him, and that's not a good look. When someone accuses you of smacking them, you should say sorry. You should not just be like, oh, I love you. It's not good. Not a good look, girl. They then go back and forth about how often each of them leaves arguments. Amber says that Johnny passed out naked in a bathroom on a separate occasion and she was pounding on the door to try to wake him up out of fear that he was vomiting in his sleep. And they just, they go back and forth like forever. And then eventually Johnny tells Amber that he's falling out of love with her. It's sad, but it's also like, come on, you, you guys know, you just, just stop. But they don't, they do not stop. They continue fighting for the rest of their lives. And on September 26, 2015, we have a four-hour audio recording. <sighs> so I've got some notes for this. At the top of the recording, Johnny mentions being irrational, jealous, and fucking crazy and weird whenever Amber goes to film movies. Amber expresses that she doesn't like it when Johnny leaves at the beginning of an argument. But then Johnny complains that Amber comes to find him to resume arguments whenever he tries to leave and calm down. Johnny says that Amber criticizes him excessively. Amber says that most of the people in Johnny's life won't call him out on things, but she does. Amber says that Johnny is frequently late to things, which makes her feel like he's being inconsiderate to her feelings. They go back and forth. They discuss a lot of past arguments. And Johnny accuses Amber of throwing a vodka bottle at him in Australia. Amber seems to admit to throwing a bottle, but counters by saying that Johnny also threw things and then challenges his memory of the event due to the substances that he was on at the time. They then argue about an incident where, I guess, Amber accidentally hit Johnny with a door in the head, and Amber says that she doesn't remember the incident well because she had taken an Ambien. They go back and forth again, call each other names. Johnny calls Amber a liar, a slut, and a whore, and then Amber calls Johnny weak, spineless, a pussy, and a coward. They go back and forth about whether or not someone should say sorry and when. Johnny thinks that they say it too soon in arguments before they've even presented their case to one another. Amber thinks they should apologize immediately out of consideration for the other person's feelings. Um, it's, it's, I'm so sick of hearing these two fucking fight. They literally, like, they just circled back to everything continuously. For hours, they argue about each other's drug use. They talk about getting a marriage counselor. They talk about the last time someone threatened to get a divorce. It, it's just, it's unending. Now, this is where I will say that Amber loses the most ground because she does not come across well in these audio recordings. She yells frequently. She talks very rapidly. She doesn't seem to let him get a word in at a couple occasions, it very much seems like she is trying to verbally overpower him. And obviously, the worst part of it is after Johnny accuses her of punching him and not telling one of his security guards about it when he brought it up, and they have an exchange that is very much not a good look for Amber. So I'm not gonna sit here and go over every fight we've had. I'm not going to refight this fight. You have something you're holding on to about Travis. Fucking go. Fucking 
go fuck. You know, go do it. Go run away together. I don't know what you're fucking holding on to, but you have created that. I have no part of that. I don't know what you're fucking latched onto in your brain, what stray hairs have fucking commingled and tangled in your brain to make you think you've really figured some sort of thing out. But this is not unusual for you. It's like almost every fight I can pretty much guarantee you will find something that you can like manipulate let's, let's and twist into something. Tonight. Yes, why don't we him. invite Travis into our, our into our fucked up, broken ass, three fucking wheeled truck of a marriage? Why don't we crash it straight into the wall because no one knows us better than fucking Travis? You're just afraid that the truth will come out. What truth? That you lied. What are you fucking talking about? I didn't fucking even have a, a, a fucking thing to lie about. What are you fucking talking about? Every fucking fight, there's a new thing that you've convinced yourself is no, a lie. I said to you, you Amber. Tell Travis what you just did. Did you just fucking, <laughs> did you punch me in the fucking jaw? Did you fucking, kick, did you, uh -huh. did you? And you wouldn't say a fucking, I don't know what oh, you're talking so about. Lied. Never fucking, I see the never lie. fucking happened. I see the lie. You really should run with this. In fact, maybe you and Travis can like, go and like, you know, do a tell-all about what a, hey, what, you stop. know, an investigative stop study. Stop with the attitude, right? Sorry. Stop with the attitude. Sorry. You're getting all bunched up. Sorry. I don't, it's so fucking pointless and you know what to say here and fight about fucking, Whatever you think happened with Travis, this it wasn't no. a conversation. Listen, we were I was fighting. Not I'm not going you to. You lied. You're asshole. You're fucking full of shit. What lie? When? Hmm? What conversation did I have with Travis? I, um, big, big investigative study you've done. I'm not sitting here no, and fighting with you about the, with the you. fight that After we had you last night. got physically violent with me, I texted Travis. I said, "Come up here," because I, I didn't want anything to happen. Me. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. come, come to what? Save me? No, go ahead. Continue. You, you, you. Travis to the rescue. No, that, no, that was the last one. You can go, uh, you can go. Okay. Oh, yeah, you, you, you called me a liar and yet, yeah, yet. I watched you lie. You called me a liar? I watched you lie. I You're full of shit. There's no, what, you still haven't told me what lie it is. But yet every single fucking time. We'll you know you do Travis. this every single fucking we'll time. I'm not fucking talking to nobody. No. Fuck that. You Fuck. go fucking jerk go jerk him off. I don't care. I really could care less. It's you every single time. You latch onto some sort of thing. When I already told you, I don't know what you're fucking talking about. You don't even know what you're talking about. You still haven't even told me what it is, but run with it. You I run told with you it. What it is. No, you haven't. I said to Travis, I said no, I said to you, hey, okay. tell Travis right. what just happened. You oh, you told me to do it. You yeah. told me to. You said, go do that. I said, no, tell, tell him what just happened. And I lied. And that you punched me in the You're fucking right. thing. And you, you figured it out. And you said, no, fuck it. No, I didn't. What the fuck are you talking about? And I, I watched punch you lie. You. And then I, I didn't I punch you, by the way. You, I'm sorry that I didn't uh, uh, hit you across the face in a proper slap, but I was hitting you. It was not punching you. Babe, you're not punched. Don't tell me what it feels like to be punched. You, you know, you've been a lot of fights. You've been around a long time. I know. Yeah. No, I, when you fucking have a close You face. didn't get punched. You got hit. I'm sorry I hit you like this. But I did not punch you. I did not fucking deck you. I fucking was hitting you. you I don't know what the motion of my actual hand was. But you're fine. I did not hurt you. I did not punch you. I was hitting you. How are you talking? How? What am I supposed to do? Do this? I, I'm not sitting here bitching about it, am I? You are. Oh, That's the difference between me and you. You're a fucking baby. Because you start... You are such a baby! Grow the fuck up, did you Johnny! you physical fights? I did start a physical fight. Yeah, you did, so I had because, to get the fuck out of there. Yes, you did. So you did the right thing, the big thing. The, you know what? You are admirable. Every single time. What, what, what's your excuse? 
when there's not a physical fight, then what's the excuse there? You're still being admirable, right? Just by running away. And you can sit here and, and call me names, but you get called a name and what do you do? That's the last insult. You're a baby. You're a hypocrite. You don't do anything that you actually do. You expect from people what you can't give them. If they do something, a taste of it to you, you fucking lose it. But yet you dish it out. It is Xanax. Just in case you need it. I think it's been worn off, maybe. What are you doing with this? I'm giving you a Xanax in case you need it. Okay. Seems like it's worn off. And somehow this whole fight ends with them, like, acknowledging their love for one another and resolving to just do better and saying they're going to get a marriage counselor, which is kind of nice. And this is actually the thing that drives me nuts about this whole case overall, is that when I listen to these audio recordings, I'm like, man, I do kind of hope that they work shit out. Like, I don't want them to be together. I think it's a horrible idea. But you do hear these moments where you're like, they do care about each other, I think. Like, they're trying. And I see them expressing their love for one another that I do think is genuine. And it just makes me sad that, like, I'm listening to these recordings and I know that it's not going to end well. Like, I've seen the future of these two and it's not pretty. Anyway, moving on to Thanksgiving of 2015. So, according to Amber, there were two separate incidents on this night. They had a couple friends over, and as per usual, Johnny was under the influence of something. This time it was cocaine and marijuana, according to Amber. And at some point they got into an argument during the party. They went upstairs and went to their bedroom or something, had a little fight, came back down. Then when everybody left, they had a fight again. Amber says this one resulted in a split lip for her and a lump on the back of her head, as well as a broken decanter. Cause, you know, Johnny threw it at her. Now, according to Johnny, none of that happened. Him and his legal team submitted videos from Thanksgiving of that year where everyone looked happy, they were celebrating, all their friends were there, including Marilyn Manson. Granted, this was before any of the assault allegations or, you know, all the other allegations, but still, a gross, gross man. But anyway, the videos don't prove anything. Amber said that they got into a fight away from the party, and she came back down and acted normal. That's kind of not weird in an abusive situation. I really thought in 2022 we would be past the point that people think that abuse victims act in a certain way, even on the day that they were abused, but I guess we're still using that as an excuse. She looked fine, so everything must have been fine. And I'll reiterate, you can support Johnny Depp and think that Amber was the abusive one in this situation, and you still don't have to resort to arguments like this. Alright, then on December 15th, this is what Amber said was one of the worst nights of the couple's relationship. 
So according to Amber, on this night, she informed Johnny that she was intending to leave him and said that if he ever touched her again, she was going to call the police. As she began to walk toward another apartment, Johnny pushed her, he grabbed her and pulled her from one room to the next. Then he grabbed her by the throat, pushed her down to the ground, punched her in the back of the head, grabbed her by her hair, slapped her, told her he was going to kill her, and I guess headbutted her and hit her on the nose with his forehead. After that, Amber was worried she had a concussion. She contacted a doctor the next day. She did not have a concussion, but she said that she did continue suffering headaches for a week after the fight. So now, in addition to all the damage on Hurt's body, there was also, again, damage in the apartment. So Amber took a photo of a counter where Johnny had written, Why be a fraud? All is such bullshit with gold pen. They also took a photo of the bed that had been splintered, like the, um... It's not the headboard, but it's the part, like, below the bed. Whatever, you know what I mean. And then there's also a photo of a clump of Amber's hair that was on the carpet. And so this is the event that happened right before Amber had gone on the Late Late Show with James Corden. This has become kind of a thing. People have watched the clip of James Corden and said that Amber doesn't look like she had just been beaten up, but... Amber said that she had her makeup artist uh, just applying makeup in a way that covered her injuries, including a red lip because Amber's lip had been split. So according to Johnny, a lot of this incident was made up by Amber in an attempt to continue her hoax. The blonde hair on the floor, for instance, Johnny said didn't belong to Amber. And the only assault that took place on that night was inflicted by Amber onto Johnny. Johnny did eventually admit at some point during the UK trial that he did headbutt Amber, but said that that was only an accident as he was trying to intercept her assaulting him. And afterward, he said Amber faked an injury to her nose by putting red nail polish onto a tissue to try to convince Johnny that he had caused her nose to bleed. If Amber had been seen with a bloody lip, he says, that was because she just had frequently dry, chapped lips and bit them in order to cause them to bleed again to frame Johnny. Now, Johnny does admit that the graffiti on the kitchen counter was him, but he didn't do any of the other damage in the apartment. And then Johnny submitted photos from his injuries from that incident. We'll come back to both the photos of Amber's injuries and Johnny's in a second. First, let's get through the other accounts. So Rocky, Amber's friend, came to the apartment shortly after. She said that Amber told her everything that happened and she witnessed Amber's injuries. She's the one that took the photos of Amber, which were later used as evidence. Rocky was also there when Amber was getting her makeup done for the Late Late Show the next day. She said that Amber's makeup artist did cover up Amber's injuries, and she also said the hairstylist named Adir told Amber not to touch her hair at all because Adir had styled it to cover where the clump that had been pulled out of the back of her head was. 
And then Amber's makeup artist, Melanie, also testified to pretty much the same thing. She said she covered up Amber's injuries prior to her appearance on The Late Late Show. She also said she had visited the apartment shortly after the assault and testified to seeing the graffiti left by Johnny. And she said that at that point, Amber was in between sad and furious, which makes sense to me. She said that Amber told her that her and Johnny had had a fight, also that Johnny had tried to suffocate her with a pillow. Amber seemed to believe that Johnny was trying to kill her. And considering Amber said he told her, I'll fucking kill you, um, yeah, I see why she might believe that. She testified to the injuries she saw, which matched up with the photos that Amber and Rocky took. And she said she had to use makeup to cover the bruises and then use the red lipstick to conceal the injury to Amber's lips. Then we have Kevin Murphy, the estate manager for Johnny. He said that he visited the apartment right after the alleged assault. He said that Amber was sitting on the edge of the bed crying. She complained that Johnny had hit her in the face several times and pulled her hair out. But Kevin said that he couldn't see any of the injuries, and he said that she was not wearing any makeup at the time, and there were no marks, bruises, cuts, redness, or swelling to her face. He also said there were no apparent areas on her head where the hair had been pulled out. And then we have Samantha McMillan, who was the stylist that worked with Amber that day on The Late Late Show. She's also the stylist that currently works for Johnny. She said she also did not see any injuries on Amber, and she said that after the taping, Amber came up to her and said, Can you believe I just did this show with two black eyes? And Samantha said she was surprised because Amber appeared to be uninjured and hadn't said anything to her about the alleged injuries prior to the taping. Then Sean Bett, Johnny's bodyguard, said that he saw the injuries on Johnny. I believe he is also the person that took the photos of Johnny. And Laurel Anderson, who was the couples therapist for Johnny and Amber, at this point they were in couples therapy, said Amber not only texted her the photos of the injuries, she also saw her in person on December 17th and saw the injuries then. Now, we've got a whole lot of text messages to get through, but first, let's go back. Now, like with the Australia incident thing, the fact that Johnny does admit to the graffiti on the counter, um, doesn't tell me that he was in a great state of mind at the time. I, I just don't know why a mentally stable person would write with gold paint on their own kitchen counter and write such a strange, aggressive thing? Why be a fraud? All is such bullshit. Like, I... <laughs> For all the time that Johnny's team tried to paint Amber as the mentally unwell person in this relationship, even the stuff that Johnny admits to doesn't paint him in a good light. I have a hard time believing that this is all the damage that he did because this was already such a weird thing to do. Then with the hair on the floor, 
First of all, it's clearly a clump of hair that was ripped out of somebody's scalp. Like, it, it's not cut in a nice way. It looks like just a jumble of hair, some of which looks split, like it wasn't even pulled from the root, it was just broken off. So, where else would Amber have gotten that hair to put on the ground? And if she was trying to do a hoax anyway, why wouldn't she just put her own hair on the ground? Like, she could just cut some off and then just leave it on, on the floor. Why would she get somebody else's hair? Even Johnny's explanation of how Amber pulled off this hoax doesn't really sound very convenient for Amber, but whatever. There also is a photo of the top of Amber's head where the hair was pulled out. This is like, there's not that much hair missing per se. I don't think it would be hard to cover up. But there is a part on the top of her head where you can see it's like red and it's kind of like red in a surrounding area with like really light pale skin in the middle. Like it definitely looks like what it would look like if someone was pulling at your head. It doesn't look like makeup to me. It doesn't look like, I don't even know, like, uh, I don't know how else to explain that photo other than clearly somebody pulled some hair out of Amber's head or somebody's head, somebody's head who happens to look exactly like Amber's color of hair, but whatever. Then with the injuries on Amber's face, they're not like that bad. Like, she definitely has a split lip, but it really isn't something that I think would be that hard to cover up with lipstick. And the same with right under her eyes. You can see where a black eye is kind of starting to form, but it also just looks like someone who's kind of tired or is just generally not taking care of themselves. I fully buy that these are injuries from a fight, but they're not injuries that I think would be that hard to cover up. So the people who will watch the clip from the Late Late Show and say that how could she look like that if she was covering bruises? Pretty easy, I'm gonna say. That wouldn't take that much work. Especially if you're a professional makeup artist with professional makeup and you know how to color correct, like, it would be a pretty easy job. I mean, makeup artists on sets cover up tattoos all the time. This isn't any worse than a tattoo. And I can also see why someone visiting Amber in the moment might not notice any of her injuries. Especially depending on the lighting and the way that she's sitting, whether her face is in shadows, like, there's so much here where I'm like, just because a couple people didn't think she looked beat up, doesn't mean she wasn't beat up. Bruises and shit, like, take a day or so anyway to really show up on someone's skin in the first place, so I, I don't know what people are expecting. As far as Johnny's injuries, though, um, I'm gonna be honest, I don't see any. There's maybe, like, a little discoloration under his eye. And there's also maybe, like, some redness on his face in spots. 
I, I, I really would not look at this person and say that they had just been in a fight, though. I, I think Amber's injuries, presuming that they're real, which they look real to me, Amber's are more significant. Like, if I saw Amber on the street in good lighting, I would be like, fuck, that girl looks like she's had better days. Something happened there. If I saw Johnny on the street, I would just... I would not even think anything. I'd just go on with my day. I guess there is maybe, like, kind of a bruise up on his forehead, but also Amber said that he had butted her, so, I mean, that makes sense. And convenient as well, by the way, that Johnny thought to take these photos of the injuries to his face, but didn't think to take the photo of the Kleenex that he alleges Amber put nail polish on to fake a bloody nose. Alright, so let's go down to text messages. So, the first one we have is from Amber to Dr. Cowan. She said, first, emergency, can you please call me? Later, she wrote... Johnny did a number on me tonight. I'm safe with my support tonight, but I need some real help. Can I come tomorrow? I called earlier because I thought I had a concussion and didn't know if I should have called the police. But I have a nurse close to me, and Rocky and her have been here for me. Can I see you tomorrow? The next day, she sent another message to Dr. Cowan saying, Connell, sorry I haven't called because Rocky came over last night then dealt with security and called nurse for medical help and went down to sleep. Today has been filled with work. I'm shooting a late show appearance today with two black eyes. In short, I need your help. But we'll have time tomorrow to get it. Can you please make time for me? Johnny beat me up pretty good last night. He's using again. She also sent a message to Kevin Murphy, which said, I just wanted to let you know that the maids will be needed down today. Even though Johnny didn't sleep here last night, he left quite a dent on the place before he left. She also sent two pretty much identical text messages to her publicist, Jody and her agent, Jessica, the night of the alleged fight, to tell them that she had had an accident and warn them that she might not be fit to do the Late Late Show the next day. She said, I had an accident tonight. I'm really bruised and might have a black eye or two tomorrow. Same with my nose. Nurse on the way to make sure I don't have a concussion. There's a chance I might not be fit for tomorrow, but I won't know how bad the bruising is until the morning. Giving you a heads up, I'll call you tomorrow to let you know. And on the night of, she also texted her friend Ayo and said, I need you. Jay beat me up pretty good. Rock's on the couch with me now. When are you back? Need you. Then the day after, she had a phone call with Nurse Borum and then texted her shortly after the phone call and said, Just found a bunch of coke, which explains it. So clearly, Amber was referring to finding cocaine, which she believed that Johnny had been doing the night of the assault. Alleged assault. The day after that, on the 17th, her and Nurse Borum exchanged the following messages. So Borum wrote, Just finished watching your appearance last night. I had recorded it. You looked and sounded great, and honestly, nothing looked wrong at all. 
Amber said, that's a miracle. Hey, I have a headache basically for the last couple days. My head is still really bruised. I still feel a lot of welts on it. I called Kipper's office and Lisa said he was away until tomorrow, but that Monroe could look at me. Do you think I should go and get checked out by him? Orem wrote, I think if you're still hurting at this point, then it wouldn't hurt to go get a full checkup slash assessment. Monroe is a really good guy and a very smart nurse practitioner. Are you okay? Did you get to the office? Amber said, yes, I did. I saw Monroe and went to therapist and lawyer's office today. Just really sad. Then on December 20th, Amber was texting Calwin, who again is Amber's therapist. Amber wrote... I don't feel strong enough. I want to be, just don't feel it. He wants to say bye to me. He came over to grab some things. I just don't want him to leave. I don't know what to do. Cowan wrote back, All I can tell you, Amber, is that it's important to trust what you know to be safe and healthy for you and to distrust any of those feelings that come from fear and insecurity. Whatever you decide, whatever you do, make sure to try to let it come from strength, not weakness. I know you don't want him to go, but staying and using leads to what? Also on the 20th, Amber had a conversation with Rocky. Amber wrote, I'll let you know I'm texting with him now about what's best. Talk when he gets here versus when he's leaving. I hate that I wish he wasn't leaving. I feel abandoned by someone who should be crawling back to apologize to me. I feel so ashamed. Rocky wrote back, You have nothing to be ashamed about, nothing. Love comes from the heart, from the gut. It has nothing to do with the brain. By the way, I'm not near the end of ability to support you, not even close. None of us are. So the second you need something, no matter how dramatic and crazy, I am here. Josh is here. Leela is here. No judgment, just love. A little while later, Amber wrote back, I'm being strong, basically faking it. I said, you headbutted me, and his response? I just gave you a little knock with my head and then left the room after saying what a fuck up he was and such fucking feeling sorry for himself. Poor him. Can't take any responsibility. Rocky, does that make it a little easier? Amber, just like Josh said, he doesn't know how. Are you sure you guys are okay not going to the island? I feel terrible for ruining Christmas. Rocky, you didn't ruin it. Christmas is going to happen many more times, and home is where you and our moms are. I love you so much. You are the strongest person I know. Amber. He's crying. Now playing the sorry I fucked up and am so fucked up card. Rocky. Yes, because he's losing you for real. Because he knows you mean it. This means you are communicating clearly. Keep going. Do not let him stay there tonight. Speak from strength not from desperation. Listen to what your gut says will serve your strengths. The conversation continues until the next day. Amber says, I'm okay, just been a hard night, crying and talking and crying more. Rocky, oh, Amber, I wish there was anything I could do to make this load not as heavy. Thank you for responding. I was dreaming about you. I was worried. Are you okay? I think Johnny just came in and left a note on my floor. Amber, he's fucked up. Rocky, yes, obviously. Amber, 
I asked him to leave. Ignore it. He's gone. I'm so sorry. He's just feeling like he's fucked up. Rocky. No need to apologize. It's not your fault. Amber. I asked him to leave twice. Rocky. I saw Steven in the hallway. Can he help? Can we help? Amber. I don't know. He's not with me. He's drunk. Rocky. Can you get out of there? Can I come get you and we will go if he won't leave? Is he gone? Can I come help you? I feel stupid giving you space. I feel like coming to help you even if it's just standing there as a witness. Amber. It's okay. Rocky. I'm so worried. Amber. It's okay. He's sleeping here tonight because he started throwing up. Rocky. Okay. Amber. I'm so sore. Rocky. Can you go be with your mama? Amber, I've been thinking about it, but it will antagonize. Rocky, just try to get some rest and you can get back to solving problems tomorrow. Turn him on his stomach and let your mom take care of you. Then on December 22nd, Amber wrote another message to Dr. Cowan, writing, I'm so sorry if I worried you. As you can imagine, the day of travel, he came over to say goodbye, and there commenced an entire day of hashing it out, ultimately ending in his agreement to commit to couples counseling, etc., and my decision to go to the island with him and the kids. It's just us and has been relaxing and incredibly peaceful, even if it is just avoiding an inevitable larger discussion-slash-conclusion. Anyways, sorry for the long text. I will text you when I get back to LA. I wish I could tell you I had the strength to walk away, but I just wasn't. Although, I certainly saw he believed I had. But anyway, I will text you when I'm back on the 30th. Perhaps I need to rush on in there as soon as you open for the new year. Thank you for checking in, Connell. That means a lot to me. Man, this shit is just painful to read. Like, girl, he said he was gonna kill you. Alright, so then we've got some exchanges with Johnny. So, on December 21st, Amber's dad sent Johnny this text message. JD, I understand a little more about what's going on than I did. I'm not mad. I understand a man has got to be a man, and I'm not saying that you were completely justified, but I understand. I'm talking to Paige, and I think I know what is going on a little better. I wish you and I were talking. If I could sit down with you and Amber at the same time by ourselves, and you would understand why I don't want to kill you, could beat you up or anything. I would say no more hitting for anybody. I think you and Amber, Jack, and Lily Rose only should go to the island for a few days and let me talk to Amber and tell her what she needs to stop doing to help your situation. I still love you like a brother or father or whatever, and I think we could work things out. I think this whole thing about all the friends and everything is getting in the way, but the main thing is that Amber should never hit you or call you another name and same goes for you, and if that were the case, you guys could be happy together for the rest of your lives. I mean that, and I know from the bottom of my heart, I know that Amber needs help with her temper, and same as you need help with your problem with drugs and alcohol mixing together good causes you to lose control even though it's not one-sided. Johnny didn't respond to Amber's dad until the 30th when he wrote, 
Below is a text that I never hit send on from a week ago or so. Again, it was in response to you. Hey brother, I love you too, more than you can ever imagine. It's rare in life when one meets a kindred spirit. A couple of madmen with a thirst for further. There have only been maybe three people in my entire life of your ilk. You're a rare specimen and our friendship means everything. Yes, I fucked up and went too far in our fight. I cannot and will not excuse my part inside these dramas, but I can promise you with all confidence they will never happen again. My most sincere apologies if I've let you down. Love you, brother. XJD. I'm going to give you guys a hint. Um, when he says they will never happen again, um, they do. They do happen again. There are more incidents coming. Then we have a note from Nurse Borum, who had visited Amber on the 17th. Basically, the note just says stuff about Amber said that she had a fight with her husband, and Nurse Borum said she saw all the injuries and pretty much corroborated in that note the exact injuries that were in Amber's photos. So I guess if those injuries were just makeup, then Amber reapplied all of the same makeup the following day, and it looked the same. In addition to all the text messages back and forth with Amber, with Io, with Melanie, with everybody, this hoax that Amber is pulling off is so detailed. Like, Honestly, it's just so impressive. Then we have a note from Dr. Cowan after talking with Amber on the 17th. He said that Amber said that Johnny had started the physicality in the fight, and that Amber, instead of de-escalating the fight, just fought back. Then in another note from Dr. Cowan after getting the text from Amber that she was on vacay with Johnny, he wrote that... This is obviously a toxic and destructive relationship. Amber understands how damaging and destructive the relationship is and still refuses to move on. Then on December 31st, Amber texts Nurse Borum and... Guess what? Johnny's drinking again and the two have been fighting again. The same day we've got multiple audio snippets. I don't know... I'm assuming there's a longer audio recording, but I have not been able to find it. I just have these snippets. So in one of them, Amber accuses Johnny of putting his cigarettes out on her, which he responds to by calling her a fat ass. Put your fucking cigarettes out on someone else. You fucking have consequences for your actions. That's it. Shut up, fat ass. Yeah, you got me there. In the next, you can hear Amber telling Johnny couch repeatedly. So Johnny has said that she was ordering him to sit on the couch. Amber said that the word couch was like a safe word for them, which meant that she wanted like a truce in the argument. I think both could be true. It sounds to me like couch is a directive, like sit on the couch, but that maybe means like... We're gonna sit on the couch and have a truce? So I don't know. I don't know. I think they're both kind of telling the truth. But then in the recording, Amber also accuses Johnny of throwing his cigarette out on her again. Everything you've said has been nasty and provoking and mean-spirited. Not yours. And no, I'm not saying that. You asked me yours. 
By the way, you just threw a fucking cigarette on me. And then in the third snippet, we have Amber and Johnny discussing some alleged incident where Amber dumped him. I'm assuming that was from the, like, week ago or so when she was texting Rocky. And then she accuses him of beating the shit out of her. Go, I fucked up and cry in my bedroom after I had dumped you a fucking week, week prior. A fucking week prior after you beat the shit out of me. And then a week later you show in my, show up at my doorstep in my room saying you want to say goodbye. Okay, say goodbye. Oh, I said it? Yes, you did say it. I'll go to the text messages so that we are clear yes, on the tape. Yes, because you said it before oh. to me. Okay. No doubt. But you did not say you're going to come over to say bye? I made a huge mistake. You didn't, you didn't say that to me? I made a huge mistake. You didn't say that to me? Well, I won't do it again. What's the mistake then? Didn't, did you or did you not say you're coming over to say bye? Notably, in the clip that I have, Johnny doesn't contest beating the shit out of her. Now, I'm sure that Johnny would say he was just trying to placate her and not argue with her, but that's a pretty big accusation. If someone says, you beat the shit out of me, I, I think you'd say something. But that's just my speculation. The two are just already arguing about stuff, so it's not like Johnny is just trying to go along with everything Amber says. He gets on her about... Her saying that he had come over to say goodbye or something. And he's arguing with her about that, and that seems like small potatoes compared to the accusation of beating the shit out of someone. So, like, you know, pick your battles. Then on January 4th, we again have multiple snippets, and I don't have the longer recording. But the basis of these... First of all, they argue about secret recordings of one another. This is something that they've both done throughout the relationships. They sometimes record one another knowingly, I think is like a therapy thing, so they can listen to their arguments back. Other times, it very much seems like the other person does not know they're being recorded, so two-way street with both of them. Then they also talk about escalating or de-escalating fights. They go back and forth on that. It's the same argument that they are always having where Johnny says that he's leaving arguments to prevent a larger fight, and Amber says that he is leaving just to leave. Then Amber talks about the fact that she is louder in fights, and... From the arguments I've heard, that seems likely. She is definitely loud. And I'm not a fan of yelling in arguments, period. I don't think it ever really helps any situation. It just gets people riled up, and it just gets everyone into a defensive mood. So I would say, overall, no yelling. It's a no for me. But I do understand what Amber is saying here, because she's making the argument that just because she's loud, the people around them, like the people who vacation with them in nearby hotel rooms and whatnot, they can hear Amber's side of the conflict and know what a bitch she's being, but they don't really hear what Johnny is saying back to her, nor do they get a sense of the physical violence, which she says is primarily him. He is the one that is more physically violent. 
person who is loudest is most responsible. My 16-year-old daughter just, heard you just, saying shit by the way, I'm, that she would rather I'm not louder. hear. By the way, because I'm louder. Okay, whatever. By the way, my family, my friends, everyone screaming. around me ha- saw all the bruises and broken, uh, broken blood vessel under my eye, the bruises on my head, the missing chunks of hair, the split lip, the black eye, the swollen nose, all that shit, because you're stronger. It does not mean... It does not mean because they heard me that I'm somehow more responsible. It just means they heard me because I yell in a fight. You do provoke. I yell. It doesn't mean I'm more responsible or badder. However, I am exposed via that. The distance of between Cafe Cabronas and the house is significant. And I know, I know that that does not mean that they got an accurate representation of our fight. But if you told them stuff, great, cool. Thanks for exposing me. As I said to you before, don't do it again unless you want me to really also tell them my side of things. Because trust me, you know, trust me, you know I have a different side than you. And if I show them pictures and stuff, I'm sure they'll have even more different side. And in fact, if I tell them even more stuff, they'll have an even more clear picture of what I think are both sides. Maybe I, you, show, maybe I should show but, them right. this but and you, this. That's true. You from can do, the mineral you, spirits. You can do whatever you want. Uh, uh, you can do whatever. Can that you you can do whatever. Face. By the way, do it. I, I promise you, do it. Do whatever you, you want. You don't want me to do that. No, you always do I'll never speak you to you again. I don't know what incident he's talking about. The only time I know before that he had accused Amber of throwing a can at his face, other than like the Red Bull one, um, was the detox in the Bahamas. So I don't know if he's going all the way back to that incident or if this is like a reoccurring thing. Then we have another audio recording. This one is longer. I don't know the exact date of the recording. I put it around like the beginning of 2016, but I'm really not sure. It's definitely after October 2015 because that's when they started couples counseling. And at this point, where the argument starts out is that Amber has gone to like two sessions by herself and she's worried that Johnny isn't committed to it. So I guess at some point before this recording started, she had asked Johnny if he was going to make the couple's counseling a commitment, which upset him, and they argue about how she phrased it. I guess that Johnny would have liked it if she had instead said, are you making it a commitment, instead of saying, are you going to make it a commitment, because saying, are you going to do it, implies that... He is already not making it a commitment. I don't know. It, the whole argument is fucking stupid. But it goes on for an hour and 45 minutes. Like, every time I'm listening to these recordings, I'm like, they have to be done now. They've said all the worst things to each other. They have to be done now. And then it just starts again. And it's the same arguments over and over and over. I'll say, in other arguments, Amber comes across bad. Um, She does yell a lot. She is a lot more emotional kind of on the surface. This one, she actually does pretty well. I wouldn't say she's doing amazing, but she's definitely making an effort to keep her calm, to not yell, to not get too worked up. 
And it actually was really sad to listen to, because at one point, Johnny accuses Amber of having control issues, and she really calmly explains to him, she's like, I really, I felt like you're judging me when you say I have control issues, it really hurt my feelings, and I would really like it if you didn't say that. And then Johnny just kind of keeps digging. He's like, but you do. And then she was like, okay, but I just told you that it hurts my feelings when you say that, so I don't know why you're just saying it again. And then Johnny says, like, well, I'm helping you by telling you that you have control issues. And then it gets into this weird semantics thing again, where Amber says that she feels like Johnny is being judgmental toward her, and he says that he's not being judgmental, he's just pointing out a fact about her, that she is controlling, and then he says that um, he doesn't like it, he doesn't like the fact that she is controlling. It's an issue in their relationship, which I'm just gonna say sounds judgmental, it's not like he's saying, you are kind of controlling, but that's honestly a thing I like about you. So it's not a judgment, it's just a fact, it's just a characteristic. No, he specifically says, you do have control issues, and it's a problem, and I'd like it to stop. But I'm not judging you, though, so don't accuse me of judging you. Like, dude... Like, Amber's at least trying here. Can you just try to be nice to her? Ah, God, I hate this. Anyways, it keeps going. Amber walks out of the room a couple times, actually, and then she keeps coming back. And at one point, Johnny is asleep and he's snoring and there's a TV playing in the background. And it is the most, like... I don't even, it's like a symbolic thing, like it's in a movie almost, because the thing that's playing in the background is like, almost like a dateline kind of thing about a man who said that he didn't push his wife down the stairs and kill her, but it sounds like he definitely did, and it's like this whole thing about abuse and... It's just, it's ironic, especially because Johnny is sleeping through the entire thing, and then Amber comes back in. If you were on the jury, what would you think of David Ditto's emotional testimony? Chat now on Facebook and Twitter. And then after Amber wakes Johnny up, um... They have a conversation about Amber fucking up Johnny's son, Jack, which I had heard about this before I actually started looking into the case. I knew something about Amber was accused of fucking up Johnny's kids, but I didn't really know the context. Um, the context is that Amber jumped up and screamed when Johnny spilled wine on her. She says that he had spilled it three times in a row, and she jumped up on the third time. Now, I wasn't there in that situation, so I don't know. But yeah, I mean, if someone spills wine on you, you might kind of jump up and scream because you're surprised. 
that's different maybe if Amber was like berating Johnny, if it was just like a pure accident. But I have a feeling that he was probably just heavily intoxicated at the time and he spilled wine on her a couple of occasions, as she says, which he does not argue with. And on the third time, she got upset. Sounds kind of reasonable to me, saying that her being upset about her drunk husband spilling wine on her for a third time in one evening fucked up his son seems incredibly dramatic to me, but I don't know, I wasn't there, but I'm just going off a pattern here of what I see as Johnny's behavior. Then eventually, Amber leaves the room again, then she comes back again, symbolic for their entire relationship, and she asks Johnny, just like heartbreakingly, if the reason he's been so mean to her is because of everything that's going on with his mom, because she was really sick and near the end of her life at this point. Just tell me, is it about your mom? Is this something I'm missing that I should know? No, no, it's about, it's, I don't know. It's not that. It's not something I'm missing. Like, I should be more understanding as a human, I mean, as a wife, that you're going through that. Are you going through something right now? Is that it? Or is that not at all? Because I don't know if I'm being shitty and not being, and just taking it. Do you know what I mean? I, of course, I, I'm going through a lot with my mom. And I, uh, of course, I'm feeling a lot of things regarding my mom's health and, uh, and the family situation and all that. I am, of course, uh, of course, feeling all this stuff and I'm, and I'm going through stuff with it. Okay. I'm, I'm trying to be more understanding, okay? Okay, thank you. Look, uh, I'm trying. I know, okay. To do the right thing, and I don't... Thank you. No. How? Exactly, because I feel, you know, I feel this is so un, un, unfair and unhurt by it, but I'm Also, no, I know that if my mom were laid up in the hospital, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be a different person too. And I'm sorry that I didn't, I'm sorry I forget or allow myself to not remember. And next, we have another audio recording, I also think towards the beginning of 2016, but again, I don't know the exact date. It starts with Amber accusing Johnny of abandoning her every time he gets upset, as per usual. Then Johnny just randomly falls asleep, and then he wakes up talking about the Grammys. Um, Amber asks him to get her an Uber. She says she doesn't want to ride with his security guard. Then there's this moment where it sounds like Amber is maybe trying to hug Johnny and she keeps telling him, love me back, love me back. It's, it's uncomfortable to listen to is what it is. Then somehow the arguments escalate again. I'm really not even sure where it's coming from, but they go back and forth where Amber calls Johnny a fucking arrogant dickhead, a cocksucker, and a parasite. She tells him to suck a dick multiple times. 
And then Johnny calls her a filthy fucking whore, tells her to stop bringing men into his house, and then says he doesn't want her kind of woman. He also says, go have a baby with a producer who can do things for her. So kind of implying that she's getting jobs by fucking producers. And then Amber hits that with, like, go call Rochelle, who's the woman that Johnny was allegedly having an affair with. Johnny says, go get your tits out to, like get more jobs or something. He calls her a spoiled brat. He tells her to go back to stripping, and she calls him a washed-up piece of shit. Now, here's what I'll say about their insults. So, Amber's insults are mean. Like, the washed-up piece of shit is probably the worst thing she says, but most of them are also just, like, generic. You know, like, fucking arrogant dickhead, cocksucker, go suck a dick. That's stuff that you could say to anybody, really. What Johnny says to her, um, that he doesn't want her kind of woman, that she should just go get her tits out, or have a baby with a producer who can do things with her, or for her, and then says he doesn't like her kind of woman. Like, his stuff feels... Well, I'm not even gonna say feels. His stuff is very gendered. The way that he is talking to her, he is slut-shaming her, he's accusing her of sleeping her way to the top. It's so much more demeaning than just, you're a cocksucker. Like, lots of people are cocksuckers. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, she's saying it in an insulting way, but it's not personalized. It's just a thing that you say to people when you're mad. Then at one point, Amber accuses Johnny of letting her take the fall for this whole, like, Australia thing with their dogs. I didn't put it in the timeline. I'm going to add it later. But with that, it's still also just a whole bunch of back and forth of people blaming each other. I was like, it's not going to be convincing for anybody who hasn't already made their mind up. Like, it adds another layer to the story, sure, but it's not going to be the deciding factor on what people feel, so it wasn't a priority for me to put it in. But right here we do have Amber accusing Johnny of having her take the fall for something that she is either implying was both of them or was him. Then Amber leaves the room for a little bit again, and of course, she comes back. And then by that point, Johnny is asleep again. I wish I could fall asleep like Johnny Depp does. It takes me so fucking long to fall asleep and Johnny falls asleep like mid-conversation sometimes it seems like this is ridiculous but he wakes up talking about first he says James Dean and then he says James Brown getting booed off stage Amber's trying to figure out what he's talking about but she really gets nowhere James Dean I mean James Brown gets booed off the stage James, uh, Brown. Dean? Uh, you said James Moriori. Dean? Yeah, no, James Dean is up there, too. But you said James Brown? Also? Well, It's booed off the stage, you said? The, the, you said James Dean, James Brown gets no, no. booed off the stage. No, no. J the, the James Brown thing, what they've done is they've, they've kind of made it into a... a, a what do you call it? A fucking... 
thing. So we go. There's three stages. We go up and play the three stages. You go play three stages. No, we go up. We're introduced from the middle one. We go on whatever one we're on. We play the gig. Do you play for James Dean? Is that what you said? You play the middle one. I said James Dean, and I corrected it. It's James Brown. To James Brown. You don't play for James Brown, though. Hmm. I don't think you're playing for James Brown, are you? I never know. You never know. Well, no, I'm desperate at this point, you know. Okay. You know that. It's not really making a lot of sense. Okay. Hey. You know, I love you. What a funny way of showing it. So do you. You know you're not clicking anything, right? What? You know you're not doing anything on your phone? No, I'm just clicking. Clicking what's there. Nothing. You're not looking at anything. It's not. Nothing's happening. You're just doing that to a blank phone. Well, because it's recording, so I gotta do that. And nothing's happening. Let's move on. February 10th, 2016, Johnny texts his bodyguard Malcolm, and here he writes, I'm just at a point where I feel like I'm going to puke all the time. Once I get this shit moving and get myself out of her level of shit, I will never mention the cunt's name again, ever again. And the first price that asks about her gets a warning. Should the single-celled prick decide to push it, he never forgets me and will always be remembered throughout his life as the guy that got his fucking nose bit off, chewed up, and swallowed by Johnny Depp. While I do have some civilized bones in my body, just on a matter of principle, I must force him to watch me fulfill the promise of mangling his motherfucker of a beezer. Love you, X. So February 24th, we have the kitchen video. Um, in this, Amber had taken a video of Johnny being really angry in the kitchen. He doesn't hit Amber at all, but he does slam some cupboards, throw some stuff, you can hear glass breaking, and he is drinking out of a very large wine glass. Ah! Motherfucker! Motherfucker! What happened? What happened? Morning, you know that? Were you in here? No. So then nothing happened to you this morning. Yeah, you're right. I just woke up and you were so sweet and nice. We were not even fighting this morning. All I did was say sorry. Did something happen to you this morning? I don't think so. Um no, that's the thing. You wanna see crazy? I'll give you fucking crazy. Oh, you're crazy. Are you crazy? Yeah, have you drunk this whole thing this morning? Oh, you got this going. You got this going? I just started it. Oh, really? Yes. Really? And then again, we have some undated audio clips. It's likely around the end of their relationship, so somewhere around here in 2016, but 
this is probably the most disjointed clips we have. Like, I don't have the longer recording, so I have no clue what the context is. But there's a couple different things. So first, we have a clip that's just Johnny puking, it sounds like. Then we have one where Johnny calls Amber a stupid fuck. Please what? This is not. This is your last week. This is your last week. This is your last call. Last one. What? What? Like I'm asking selfishly. I'm trying to focus. This is not happening. You stupid fuck. Another one where he says he hates her, and then another one where he says he's leaving. I don't fucking care. You shut up with that. On April 5th, 2016, Johnny texted his bodyguard Malcolm and wrote, Please get her out of this room now. She struck me about 10 times, can't take anymore. Again, no idea what prompted this message, but I mean, presumably Johnny is talking about Amber. On April 20th, Johnny sent a text message to Amber, which wrote, I've been by your side for every drama, illness, and ugly situation. How do you think the goddamn felony charges went away? Yet again, I believe that the felony charges are in reference to the 2015 fiasco with the couple's dogs in Australia. Then we're closing in on the end here. We've got April 21st, Amber's birthday. So according to Amber, the two got into a fight after Johnny arrived hours late to Amber's party. He was noticeably intoxicated on alcohol and probably other substances. Johnny escalated the argument to becoming physically violent. And then the next day, Amber and her friends went to Coachella. According to Johnny, they did get into a fight after he arrived about two hours late to her birthday party, but he said that he had had a business meeting that Amber knew about. He said he was not intoxicated on this night, and Amber was the one to lash out physically and become violent. He eventually contacted his bodyguard to pick him up, and then the next day, Amber went to Coachella. So let's hear from some other people. In her notes from that night, Nurse Forum wrote that Johnny came in and was coherent, oriented, and sociable, and that he was affectionate towards Amber. Christina, Amber's friend and her acting coach, said that Johnny arrived about two to three hours later than she did, and by the time he got there, he was clearly intoxicated, his speech was slurred, and he could not hold himself up properly. Then Edward White, one of Johnny's business managers, said that he was at the business meeting that Johnny was at prior to his arrival at Amber's birthday party. He said the meeting started around 7.30, lasted between one and a half to two hours, and Johnny left, like, immediately after to go to Amber's party. When he saw Johnny, he didn't see anything that would indicate that Johnny was intoxicated. Sean Bett, Johnny's bodyguard, said that when he picked Johnny up, he did see injuries on Johnny's face. Then Starling Jenkins, another bodyguard of Johnny's, drove Amber and her friends to Coachella the following day. When he arrived, he said that Amber was looking for Johnny's phone with the Find My iPhone app because she'd thrown it over a balcony along with his wallet. 
Jenkins eventually retrieved the phone from a homeless man on Skid Row. He said he did not see any injuries on Amber, and she did not mention any domestic abuse in front of him during the trip to Coachella. Rocky, Amber's friend, said that Amber told her about the fight during their Coachella trip, and she said that Amber told her that the two of them had both thrown each other's phones out the window. Josh Drew, who was Rocky's fiance at the time and Amber's friend, said that he had been at Amber's birthday party and Johnny was late and obviously intoxicated. The words he used was Johnny put on a show for everyone. We also have a photo of injuries from Johnny. This one, uh, the photo is still kind of like blurry, so it's a little hard to see, but you can see a small injury on his cheek, but it doesn't really matter because this photo was submitted for this incident, but the metadata said that it was actually from March 23rd, 2015, which would have been the Australia incident. This may have just been a mistake on Johnny's team when they submitted the photos, but I don't know if there's any other photos from this date. Then the following day, we have maybe the most infamous claim about this entire situation. So April 22nd, the day that Amber and her friends went off to Coachella and Johnny was also not at this house because he had left after him and Amber had a fight. Johnny's housekeeper Hilda found a small pile of poop in Johnny's bed. Johnny and Amber's bed. I say pile, it's not really a pile, it's just kind of like one log. There's photos on my page and also just elsewhere on the internet if you want to go look at it. So Hilda sent the photo to Kevin Murphy, Johnny's estate manager, who sent it to Sean Bett, Johnny's bodyguard, who showed it to Johnny. Johnny claims the incident persuaded him to finally divorce Amber because he believed that Amber and or her friends left this poop as an act of revenge against him for the fight on Amber's birthday. Hilda also believes this. She said that it's too big to belong to one of Amber's dogs and also how would the dogs get up on the bed? The bed's too high up. Um, here's the thing, though. Looking at the poop, yes, Amber's dogs are small. They are Yorkshire Terriers, so little guys. Little girls, they're both girls. But the poop is also kind of small. Especially because, like, there's not even anything in photo to, like, show it to scale. Like, yeah, that would look like a large poop in my bed. But I have a fairly small bed. I have a full-size bed. And I have to imagine that Amber Heard and Johnny Depp had a bigger mattress. The poop looks pretty small to me. Again, there's nothing next to it to really show it in comparison. But it looks maybe to some people too big for a Yorkshire Terrier. But to me, it looks too small for a human. And the fact is, who fucking knows? Like, 
I'm sorry, is the housekeeper an expert in poop size? I don't get why people are bringing that up as a defense. People are like, oh, oh, but the housekeeper said that it wasn't the dog. How would she know? I was a housekeeper once. Wasn't a part of my training to identify poop. How did the dogs get up on the bed? First of all, I can't say how large the bed is or how high it is off the ground. I would be interested if someone had a photo of that so I could see, and again, to scale, put the dog next to the bed so I can see how much the dog would have to jump to get up there. But also, is it unreasonable to believe that the dog was just already on the bed? We know that the dogs have been in the bed before, and we know that the dogs have pooped in the bed before. It seems very possible to me that Boo was just sitting in the bed already, did a little poop, nobody noticed, picked Boo up, carried her off. And what would the sense be of Amber or any of her friends pooping in the bed? Johnny wasn't around. It's also Amber's bed. Why would she do that? It makes way more sense that the dog that was known for pooping in beds and known for having bowel issues, period, would poop in the bed. At one point, too, there was something about, like, they were going to go get the poop DNA tested to see if it was the dog's poop or Amber's, and then nothing ever came of those results. I don't know if they did or didn't go to get it DNA tested, but I have a feeling that if they did and the results weren't what they were looking for, they just didn't say anything. Also, Johnny's leading suspicion, it seems, is that Amber's friend Ayo pooped in the bed, who wasn't even in the city at the time. So that makes no sense. But the biggest piece of evidence that they have is that Amber allegedly told Kevin Murphy that she did it as a harmless prank. Amber says that this was not true. I don't know why Kevin would lie about it. I also don't know why Amber would do it. So I don't know what's going on there. But it is just possible that there was a miscommunication at some point. Or even that, like, Kevin Murphy just hated Amber and wanted Johnny to be mad at her. I don't know. But I just, I'm not buying the idea that Amber pooped in that bed. I, I don't know why she would, even if she fucking hated Johnny. There's no purpose. And also, she would know that they could get it DNA tested. So, like, why would she set herself up for that? I, whatever. Let's move on. May 20th, we have the death of Johnny's mom. And May 21st, surprise, we have their final physical fight. Alright, so here's what Amber said happened. After not seeing Johnny since her birthday, she got a text from him saying that he was going to come get some things because he was going to go on tour with his band. Amber decided to go meet him at the penthouse he was gathering his things from so that they could talk. He arrived already drunk, high, and angry about the poop on the bed that he still very much thought Amber had left. He told her that Kevin Murphy had informed him that she left it as a harmless prank. They called Kevin on speakerphone. Kevin apparently reiterated that, yeah, she told me that it was a prank and she did it. Amber accused him of being a fucking liar. 
Then the arguing started to escalate. Johnny was convinced that it was Io who actually pooped in the bed, and so Amber called Io again on speakerphone. Io denied it. Johnny screamed some insults at Io, then threw the phone to the ground and walked upstairs. Amber picked the phone back up, and then when Johnny came back downstairs, her and Io were still talking. Johnny was real mad at this point. He grabbed the phone, threw it in Amber's face, and then started pulling Amber by the hair. She yelled, call 911 in hopes that Aya would hear. He did. He called the police from where he was in New York and gave them Amber's address in California. Rocky arrived on the scene shortly after because Amber had texted her to come over once the fighting started to escalate. Amber managed to get free of Johnny once Rocky came in, and then she ran to the other side of the room. Johnny ran after. Rocky got between them and tried to kind of, like, separate them and get Johnny to calm down. While Amber was kind of collapsed on the couch, Johnny grabbed a bottle of wine, took some swigs out of it while then smashing various things in the apartment. Then Jerry Judge and Sean Bett, two of Johnny's bodyguards, came in. Amber said that they had been staying in a separate apartment while she and Johnny had argued, but then Amber yelled at them to help and said she would call the police, so they got Johnny and took him out of the room. As he left, Amber could hear him damaging other things in the apartment as well as the neighboring apartments which Johnny owned and uh, Rocky and Josh Drew stayed in. Then later, Josh Drew, who had been with Rocky when she first got the text from Amber, came onto the scene a little bit later. He took photos of the damage in the apartment. He also had another woman with him named Elizabeth Martz. A little while after that, two police officers arrived. Amber decided to not make a statement because she didn't want the information to get leaked to the media. And then around 10.28 p.m., two other officers arrived, briefly walked around the apartment, Though at this point, Amber says that her, Elizabeth, Josh, and Rocky had already cleaned up most of the damage. And then a few days later, Amber finally files for divorce. So Rocky pretty much corroborated Amber's entire story, as did Josh and Elizabeth, but they also have their own perspective too, because when they were coming to the apartment, that was when Johnny was leaving. And they said that when Johnny spotted Josh, he started yelling at him and kind of got in his face. But then Josh went and found the girls, and the story is the same. So that just adds a little aspect to Josh's narrative. Oh, also, Johnny had, like, left his phone in the penthouse, and so Josh later ran it down to one of Johnny's bodyguards. And then when he confronted the bodyguards, they were kind of like, oh, whatever, man, it's like a husband-wife thing. And Josh was like, okay, but he beat her. So, kind of, you shouldn't, like, just sit by while something like that happens. But that's all that you need to know about that. I'm trying to get through this part quickly because there's, like, a lot, but... Then the next day, Whitney saw Amber's injuries. Io testified as to what he heard on that night and said that when he asked Amber why she was even in the apartment in the first place, Amber basically said, well, his mom just died and I'm kind of worried about him, so I agreed to meet him. Like, girl that's the last time you should meet him. I know you feel bad that his mom died, but, like, he's a mentally unstable person. So 
give him a bit to cool off before you talk to him? Don't go see him the day after his mother died, when you already thought he was being mean to you because she was dying? Not a good idea, but whatever. It's not her fault, obviously, what happened, but I just wish someone had said to her, like, hey, maybe give it a few days. Other than that, Ayo said pretty much exactly what Amber said. He could hear the yelling over the phone, he heard Johnny pulling Amber's hair, etc. Now if we switch to Johnny's perspective, according to him, he arrived at the apartment, he was still mad about the incident with the poop, um, but he said he did not assault Amber at any point. He heard Amber calling Io. He said that the two were laughing and mocking him on speakerphone and laughing about the fact that they pooped in his bed. I assume that they might have been laughing at one point, but probably just laughing at the absurdity of the accusation. But I'm putting that aside. Actually, I'm not. I'm not putting it aside. I've given up on the idea of being charitable to Johnny's perspective at this point, because it starts to get really ridiculous. So according to him, Amber texted Rocky, but Rocky wasn't actually not in the apartment. She was in the same apartment as Amber. She was just waiting for Amber to text her so, so that she could, like, come out of a closet or something and surprise him. And this was all a part of Amber's hoax. So Amber, Rocky, and Johnny were all in the room together. Amber and Rocky started yelling, and at that point, that is when Johnny's security guards enter the room, but him and Amber were about 20 feet apart. Johnny was dumbfounded when Amber started accusing him of hitting her. Her and Rocky started to pretend to cry, and when he was in the apartment, absolutely nothing was damaged. He left with his bodyguards, didn't do anything else, and just went home. Johnny's bodyguards, surprise, surprise, corroborated his side of the story and said that because they didn't see Rocky in the hallway, she must have actually been in the apartment the entire time. Now, according to Rocky, she did come through the hallway to get to their apartment, but the security guards weren't in the hallway, and Amber thinks that they were in another room, which, by the way, is where they normally were while they waited for Johnny. Their normal spot wasn't in the hallway. I don't know why they would be in the hallway this time. Seems kind of convenient. So now I mentioned the four police officers, two different pairs. The first pair testified in court in both the UK and the US. And then the second pair didn't testify, but they did have body cam footage. Now, here's the problem with that. So the first police officers have testified that they came into the apartment, they didn't see any damage, they didn't see any injury on Amber, they just saw she had a red face and assumed that that was from her crying. But they did not take any contemporaneous notes while visiting Amber. They did not know at the time that they were visiting Amber. They did not get her name. They did not know she was a celebrity. They did not know that she was married to Johnny Depp. That means that their entire recollection of that event was based off of pure memory, no notes, from an incident involving 
one woman that they talked to for 15 minutes whom they did not know was famous. I don't see any reason to believe that their memories of that night are reliable. In fact, in the UK, when they were asked, how long do you think you were in the apartment, they said 30 to 60 minutes. Security footage from the actual event said 15 minutes, so even their memory of how long they were there, not accurate. I also just don't really find the police very reliable, especially in cases involving domestic violence. They don't have a great track record, but that's neither here nor there. Now moving on to the second pair of police officers, while they also didn't have any notes, they did have body cam footage. Now, Johnny's team has tried to use the body cam footage as evidence that Amber and her friends created all of the damage in the photos of the apartment that they submitted to the judge. Because the body cam footage doesn't really show all the damage in the apartment. First off, because, like the first pair of police officers, they weren't there for very long. They walked in a little bit, didn't really get close to Amber at all, so you can't see any of the injuries on her face, and then they left. But more importantly, the second pair of police officers came over an hour after the first pair, and Amber and all of the people who were there on that night said they cleaned everything up after they took the photos, because they didn't want their dogs to step on any of the glass, which I think is reasonable. Now, if you look at the metadata from the photos that they took, the time frame is between when the two pairs of police officers were at the penthouse. All of the photos are timestamped between 9.25 and 9.31. They had between 9.19 and 10.28 to create the damage within the photos, take all of the photos, and then clean everything up before the second pair of police officers got there. And why would they even do it that quickly if they didn't know the second pair were ever coming? As far as they knew, they had all night to take these photos. Why not make the damage worse? Why not lock the dogs in a room and not have to worry about cleaning anything up in a certain amount of time? Probably because what they said happened is what actually happened, and what Johnny said happened doesn't make any sense. Now, the most significant other piece of evidence that Johnny's team has for this is a couple different people who claimed they saw Amber the next day or over the next, like, week or such and didn't see any injuries on her. So let's talk about the injuries for one thing. There are photos from the night of, then there are photos from the day after, then there are photos from a couple days after and, like, a week after. So you can literally see the progression of these injuries. In the first set of photos, Amber's cheek is just kind of red, and there's some redness up above her eye from when Johnny probably did throw a phone at her face. The next day, the redness is still there, and then on her cheek, it's starting to form like a little bit of a purpley color at the center, as bruises do. Then on May 27th, when she filed for the restraining order, it's even darker and looks like an actual bruise. Even then, it's not the darkest bruise I've ever seen. If it's done with makeup, they did a very tasteful job. 
and were remarkably consistent over the course of a couple days. But also, none of these injuries are things that I don't think would be that hard to cover up with makeup. And now, a lot of the people that saw Amber said that she didn't appear to be wearing makeup, and as someone who does wear makeup, um, that's not how that fucking works. I have about average, maybe slightly above average skills with makeup, but if I really needed to cover something up and I wanted it to look natural, I could do that. In fact, I do do that when I have a breakout and I don't want to look like I'm wearing makeup, but I also don't want people to see my acne. I put a small amount of foundation on it and I put it on in a very particular way that it's pretty much unnoticeable, especially in most lighting. Now, if I can do that on a daily basis and in poor, do you think that Amber Heard, who is a celebrity who gets her makeup done professionally regularly, has friends who are makeup artists and probably has learned something from those people, and can afford better products than I can? Can she easily cover up a bruise and or some other injuries before going outside? Yeah. And she probably would. In all of the instances in which people are saying she wasn't wearing makeup or didn't appear to be wearing makeup, she has said she was in fact wearing makeup, and she always wears makeup when going out because she might get photographed. That seems pretty reasonable to me, especially if she has injuries. Even if she told some people about what happened with Johnny, do you think she wants to go to the grocery store with bruises all over her face, with the risk of being recognized by someone and having her picture taken, either by paparazzi or just someone's cell phone? And then suddenly Twitter is full of images of bruised Amber Heard, wife of Johnny Depp, now she's gotta answer questions, and remove even the celebrity aspect from it for a minute. Just as a woman walking around with bruises on her face, Obviously, you have nothing to be ashamed of if you're a victim of domestic violence, but it is embarrassing to walk around with bruises that other people are going to automatically assume are from your partner. And they do. I'm saying this as someone who bruises very easily. If you are a small woman especially, walking around town with a bunch of bruises on you, Everywhere you go, you're gonna see strangers with concern and pity in their eyes when they look at you. And it's embarrassing, even when nothing happened to you. I know that I may be being a little condescending with some of this stuff, but like, I really thought we were past the point where women don't have to walk around covered in bruises to be believed. I don't know why people were expecting Amber to just be going about town, walking out of her penthouse, covered in extremely visible injuries, or else she must be lying. I really hope that this is not just a belief that people have about how domestic violence works, that they're applying to any other person who claims to be abused. But I also have to say I don't like that they're applying it to this one woman if they know that it's wrong anyway. So let's move on to some text messages. 
So right after Johnny left, Amber texted Melanie and told her that Johnny had just beat on her. She also texted a photo of her injuries to her parents and said, I think I'm done being there for Johnny. Wouldn't you agree, mom and dad? She put mom and dad in quotes, just so you know. After that, she sent them another message that said, I called him again and said I was ready to talk. He was fucked up and delusional, claiming some ridiculous shit I had no clue of or how to make sense of. Then he started hitting me with the phone and threw me down and hit me in the head. That's when Rocky and then Josh rushed in. Cops came right after he split. That's all you need to know. If you text him and involve yourself any more in his life, I will never speak to you guys again. Dad, either you understand that and respect that or you don't. But if you go against my wishes, I will never speak to you again. She also texted Nurse Borum and told her that Johnny was delusional and hit her in the face several times. And then she said that Ayo called the cops and they were going to file a restraining order later. The next night, she texted Josh and asked him to make a statement. She said just a play-by-play -play of what you saw in order for Amber to get the restraining order. That same day, she also texted Ayo and explained to him why she didn't make a statement to the police, saying that it would have just gone straight to TMZ and she didn't want that. But the most interesting text messages are with Johnny. So right after he left the apartment on May 21st, he texted Amber and said, That was it. The last encounter forever. You were already ready to strike. Why did I even come there in the first place? To be yelled at by you? I'm an idiot. PH5 is Rocky's studio? You are shameless. I tried to make it work and you just turned more and more into a spoiled brat. All you wanted was to make me fucking miserable. Well, I'm finally there. I'll never be able to understand how I fell in love with you. You're not her. I loved you more than anything. I did everything I could, but you never fucking loved me. I hope our divorce goes as quickly as possible and that it is as painless as possible. So sorry you were as unhappy with me as you were. Obviously, the purity of whatever was here has been gone for a long time. I will miss the moments of beauty and truth. Goodbye, Amber. What the fuck was I thinking? I wish you all merit the former him. Then the next day, Johnny texts Amber. Just let me know when you have a minute and I'll give you a call. Nothing I have to say to you should elicit anything but a sense of ease. All my love and profound apologies, Jay. Amber says... Are you okay if I wait till I get home to call? Johnny, whenever you feel like it, I'm sad, scared, and I am broken, my sweet Slim. I want you happy. I have zero harsh feelings. I am clear and I am me, the me that you once loved. We can cure one another of this constant misery born of love. Then they have a phone conversation, and a little bit after that, Johnny texts her again and says, Sorry if I was a bit... dot dot dot. Please know that my hurt towards you is over. My apologies are eternal and belong to you. Solid. Amber sends a couple more messages in return. She says that Johnny fell asleep earlier while they were talking on the phone. I'm sure that it's just because of like all the drugs that he's on, but I've never been so jealous of someone in my life. I wish I could fall asleep as easy as Johnny Depp. So also on May 22nd, Johnny's team put forth some elevator footage of Amber and James Franco in the elevator together. Now, I'm sure to him, that seemed like a slam dunk, you know? Like, 
Yeah, I accused her of cheating on me all the time, but look! She was in an elevator with the man I accused her of cheating on me with. I rest my case. Tamid actually just continues to make Johnny look like a jealous, paranoid weirdo. Especially because they don't really do anything in the elevator. Like, they stand kind of close to each other, and I guess this is them cuddling. But number one, when your friend just went through a life-changing event and she invites you over, a little cuddle is fine. It wasn't even that affectionate. They're literally just standing pretty close and kind of put their heads near each other's heads. Like, it's, it's nothing. But even if she did go into her apartment and fuck James Franco, oh well. Clearly, at that point, the relationship was over. This kind of reminds me of O.J. Simpson after Nicole died. He apparently called Kris Jenner and was asking her a bunch of questions about Faye Resnick's book because Faye had said that her and Nicole had kind of like made out and fooled around after Nicole and O.J. broke up. And so even though at this point Nicole was hella dead and he had much bigger things to worry about, for instance, raising his kids or defending himself against charges of murder because he definitely did it, he was calling Kris Jenner and asking her about whether or not she knew anything about Faye and Nicole hooking up because he was that jealous and possessive and gross that that was his concern. This is like the same thing to me. You're being accused of beating up your ex-wife after your relationship was clearly over. What is it to you that she got into an elevator with James Franco? Anyway, Amber filed for divorce on May 23rd. TMZ reported on it a few days later. Noting, by the way, that the filing was coming very quickly after the death of Johnny's mother. I bring this up because as much as Johnny's team has accused Amber of leaking stuff to TMZ specifically, TMZ's reporting on this entire saga is very weighted pro-Depp. Then on May 26th, Johnny's assistant Steven sent a message to Paul Bettany calling Amber a bitch. Then he sent a message to himself, apparently, where he called her a sociopathic showpony, Machiavellian overlord, talentless cunt, and he said good riddance to bad shit. I'm bringing this up because I'm not gonna say that I doubt all of the stuff that Johnny's team has said, but there are some indicators here that just, like, everyone on Johnny's payroll hated Amber. Maybe she was just a huge cunt. I don't know. But it's a little suspicious to me because Amber makes very clear to Johnny in the audio recordings that she believes all the people on Johnny's payroll were enablers to him. And she's, like, the one bitch 
who tries to hold him accountable for stuff. So it does cross my mind that some of the people working for Johnny might have already just had it out for Amber and thought that her being around put their jobs at risk. Like, there are some other indicators where Amber was complaining about stuff that I guess Jerry Judge had said to Christy, Johnny's sister. There's the Kevin Murphy stuff, where he said that Amber admitted to pooping in the bed. And on that recording where Jerry Judge didn't know he was being recorded, he does say significantly different things to Christy than he does to Stephen. So, I don't know. I'm not saying for sure that this is what happened, but I think it is a possibility that quite a few people on Johnny's staff were deliberately trying to get rid of her. On May 27th, Amber then filed a restraining order. Now, what she would later claim is that she didn't want to file the restraining order, but she had been threatened by Johnny's attorneys that since they were divorced and she and her friends, Rocky and Josh, all lived in penthouses owned by Johnny, that he would be evicting her after 21 days. Her attorneys apparently informed her that the best way to combat this and not get kicked out of her apartment was to file a restraining order against Johnny, and then she would be able to change the locks on hers and Rocky and Josh's penthouses. She didn't say that Johnny threatened to kick her out, she said that the lawyers attempted to kick her out after Johnny had told her that she could stay as long as she wanted. But reasonably, she still felt intimidated and got a restraining order. Now, this is relevant because the same day that Amber got the restraining order, Johnny was texting Paige, Amber's mother. Despite, by the way... Amber specifically telling her parents to not talk to Johnny anymore. I understand why she put mom and dad in quotes. So this is what Johnny wrote to Paige. I will never understand how we got here. My love for your daughter has been constant and impenetrable. But we are divorcing because I was two hours late for her birthday dinner, because I was in a meeting with new business manager and the bank, as my former business manager fucked me over royally. Also, she knew I was going to be late. I texted her from the meeting. She treated me like a red-headed stepchild in front of all of her friends, and it only got worse when we came home. She got violent, and I left, as I always do when she decides to get violent with me. Her charges against me are simply not true. I did not throw her phone at her. I was facing away from her to walk away and lopped it over my shoulder. I had no idea that she wouldn't just catch it, or if it would land on the couch. Timing is ugly. My mom passed away. Amber, the love of my life, can no longer exist in me. To perjure herself against me is too far. I don't deserve this, Paige. But if this is what's happening, this is what I must deal with. Apparently, she's back with Tasia Fantasia. Then he goes on. Paige responds, it's the lawyers on both sides doing this, not Amber. I heard the whole story. She didn't want this. Friggin' lawyers on both sides. This was not her idea, not her wishes. She was told she would be evicted and out in 30 days if she did not do this. 
her dumb lawyer possibly as the only way she would have a place to live in 30 days. She did not want to do this, I swear to you. The lawyers are friggin' things up. I cut some stuff out of that conversation, but just so you know, the weird wording was Paige, not me. Anyway, Johnny argues with that, and Paige says, Don't tell Amber I was talking to you. Then Johnny has a whole conversation with Amber's dad. He actually betrays Amber a little less than Paige, because even though he does text Johnny back after specifically being told not to talk to him, the only thing that he says is the lawyer told her she had to or she would have no place to live in 30 days. The only excerpt I want to read from Johnny's text is this one. I guess I was so bad that it was fine for her to leave me and go to Coachella for four fucking days with all of her girlfriends and to not give her birthday to us. The festival and her friends were clearly more important than working things out with me. So let's be clear here. Most of the times that Amber and Johnny are fighting on these audio recordings, Amber is accusing Johnny of leaving whenever they start to get into an argument. She says he leaves for hours to days to possibly weeks at a time before coming back and working things out with her. That is why Amber says she will follow him from room to room and try to work things out because she's worried that he's going to split otherwise. Johnny portrays that as ridiculous, but at her birthday party, the two got into a fight, he left, then the next day she went to Coachella with her friends as planned, which he was invited on that trip he didn't go because he left the city because of their fight. And now he's upset with her because she didn't cancel her Coachella trip and just stay at home waiting for him to come back to continue fighting and work things out. Like, this is incredibly hypocritical. And it indicates to me that as much as I'm not going to say that Amber was dealing with every fight correctly or that she always should have been pounding on the bathroom door after Johnny allegedly left the argument to be away from her. Clearly, he has an expectation of what she's supposed to be doing after a fight and is now upset that she didn't do that. And instead, she did the exact thing that he seems to think he's entitled to do when they fight. Now, I've seen some Depp supporters trying to use these text messages out of context as like a slam dunk that Amber filed the restraining orders for fraudulent reasons, but this is exactly what Amber said happened. Her saying she didn't want to file a restraining order doesn't mean that she wasn't abused, and filing a restraining order because she didn't want to get kicked out of her home doesn't really mean that she's, like, a gold digger. Like, somehow people are conflating, I'm gonna do what I can to make sure that I don't get evicted from the apartment I've been living in, with... I'm gonna take this man for all that he's worth and fabricate abuse allegations to do it. Those are not the same things, friends.
Now, the day that Amber filed for the restraining order, TMZ picked up the story right away. There's some BS with this. I'm going to talk more about it in the next episode. I should say for right now, for anyone who's been keeping up with the trial, basically all you need to know is Morgan Tremaine's testimony is a whole lot of nothing. Like, he really didn't say anything that would be worth anyone's time, except he said all that nothing in a very particular way that makes it seem like something that it is not necessarily. But more on that next episode. What's important about this is... Right after Amber filed, Johnny also filed another opposing document, his stating, Amber is attempting to secure a premature financial resolution by alleging abuse. Her current application for a temporary restraining order along with her financial requests appear to be in response to negative media attention she received earlier this week after filing for divorce. TMZ published that story with comments from Depp's side, which said, First, Amber never filed a police report, and she posted Instagram pics after the alleged beating and never showed any injury. Now that statement is full of a bunch of rhetoric that domestic abuse advocates have been fighting against for decades, but moving on. May 29th, we have another TMZ story. This one is just a letter from Vanessa Paradis. Johnny's ex before Amber, just defending him. Later, Amber would make a statement through her attorneys, and then one of the photos from December was used as a People magazine cover showing Amber's bruises. At the time, these photos had not been seen. The only thing that was shown of Amber's injuries was some photos from outside the courthouse when she got the restraining order. But clearly at this point, this is a full-out publicity war between the two. On June 4th, Johnny texted his sister Christy and said, quote, I want her replaced on the WB film, unquote. This is in reference to Aquaman 2, a movie that Amber may or may not be in at this point. Then June 7th, we have another article from, surprise, TMZ. This one is publicizing Amber's 2009 arrest, even though she had talked to the Seattle Police Department in 2011 and they had agreed to delete her arrest record. So I don't know where TMZ picked up this story, but it was not public knowledge prior to this. Then at some point around July, there was a private meeting between Johnny and Amber and this we have an audio recording for. They fight a lot, it gets really pathetic, Amber tries to hug Johnny at some point, and it's really, really hard to listen to. But what I want to say about this argument is they both express to one another that they didn't really want to split up. Amber says that she just wanted Johnny to stop drinking and get sober. I gave you everything I could do. I did everything I could do to make you happy. It 
wasn't in it. You don't want to be mad. I wanted you. I just wanted to have my most I thought you'd get clean and sober and it would fix a lot of our problems. I'm but never getting clean and sober. I know. <laughs> so many more problems will be far. Well, you can deal with like them Like yesterday, not. like yesterday, our conversations were going so much better and then in, and they deteriorated. Like today, they're so bad today. And it would have... <laughs> I woke up beautifully. <laughs> And thank you more. You use the drinks so the harder it can get, you know. Mm -hmm. The harder you, it is when you use a drink, like with today, how much up and down and violent and sideways it no, is. No, no, no. You have no understanding about that. You really, really, no. really are naive. Yeah. You know, because booze, but I do love you. Booze does not make me. But I do love booze you. Booze does not make me crazy. I do. Drugs do not make me crazy. <laughs> I'm of a fucking I know. battleship. I know. And here's the deal. But it got so much worse you today. You make me crazy. And the sure. reason that I drank so much, you go, why do you drink so much? Why do you drink all the time? Why do you do this? Why do you do that? It was because of me. you. Yes. It's my fault you drink. Okay. It's not your fault. It's just that's why I did it. But it got so much worse. Because I couldn't stand the fucking haranguing at all times. The, the, the Anything you could like say today, to me. I didn't harangue you today about it, but you're still drinking nonetheless. Anything you could harangue me about. Anything you could make me feel smaller about. I don't want you to keep fighting with me about everything I did wrong in the relationship. You I know what I like my God. I know you. I, I don't want you, you to say, I don't want to fight. You want to fight. This is the, That's the thing I'm talking about. Is you say you don't want to fight, but you all oh, look at this. I'm saying nothing but I love you and how do we solve this, how do we fix this? All you're doing is picking apart things that we've said, nitpicking, things you do wrong. All you're doing is throwing blame at me. I'm you sorry. did this, you I'm did that. I'm sorry that my mind works that way. Stop but it. But you did say that. But stop it. Stop it. Stop the blame. Stop the nitpicking. What? Stop the fighting. Admit what you said. I don't want to fight with you. Admit what you said. Admit what you said. I don't want to fight with you. Admit what you said. I don't want to fight with you. I don't want to fight with you. I was telling you I love you. It's all I refuse to fight. I'm not going to fight with you about a fight. It's not a fight. I'm not going to fight with you. Admit what you said. I'm not going to fight with you. All I can say is I love you. All I'm going to say is I love you. All I'm going to do is say is I love you. Because you're a pussy. All I'm going to do is say I love you. You can't. All I'm going to do is say I love you. What Johnny says that he had wanted, though, was he didn't want Amber to go to Coachella the day after their fight. I think that I already made my feelings about Johnny's feelings about the Coachella trip pretty clear, so let's move on. I don't even know how, but things escalate again, and Johnny calls Amber a leftover, over-the-hill stripper, and says that's all she'll ever be in the industry. So, great note for that conversation to end on. Unfortunately, that's not where their conversations with one another end. There is two more recordings, I believe from around the same time as that previous recording, possibly in the same day, but I don't know. One of the recordings is just a brief argument. The second recording is 
and trigger warning because I'm gonna play it. Johnny telling Amber to cut himself and then seemingly maybe cutting himself himself? Do I want to cut you? Yeah, you want an arm, you want a chest. What do you want? What do you want this guy? Don't cut your skin. Please do not cut your skin. Please don't. Okay. Why do would I do that? It's easy. Don't, please do not do that. Please do not do that. Okay. Please don't. Please don't cut yourself. You don't need to cut yourself. I need to do what I want. I know. I know it hurts. I feel the same. Me. I want you, Mark. So that's disturbing. Then on July 16th, we have Johnny's text to Nurse Borum, where he says, speaking of the medical care that he'd arranged for Amber. I was the client, ultimately. If you and Debbie are able to at least speak of me, who I really am and what, I was the only one who asked for you to calm her down and keep her under control. Not because she was kicking drugs, it was to take her pressure away from me. Same reason that I hired her shrink, who, by the way, only made her worse. We'll come back to that. On August 15th, 2016, Johnny texts Amber's former agent, as well as their, like, shared friend, and I believe he is currently still Johnny's agent, um, but he's also Lady Gaga's ex-fiancé. That's where I know him from. But anyway, he texts Christian Carino. She's begging for total global humiliation. She's gonna get it. I'm gonna need your text about San Francisco, brother. I'm even sorry to ask, but she sucked mollusks crooked dick. Um, that refers to Elon Musk, just so you know. And mollusks is a hard word to say also. Like a mollusk, but with a possessive S at the end. He gave her some shitty lawyers. I have no mercy, no fear, and not an ounce of emotion. Or what I once thought was love for this gold-digging, low-level, dime-a-dozen, mushy, pointless, dangling, overused, flappy fish market. I'm so fucking happy she wants to go to fight this out. She will hit the wall hard. And I cannot wait to have this waste of a cum guzzler out of my life. I met a fucking sublime little Russian here, which made me realize the time I blew on that 50 cent stripper. I wouldn't touch her with a goddamn glove. I can only hope that karma kicks in and takes the gift of breath from her. Sorry, man, but now I will stop at nothing. Let's see if Mollusk has a pair. Come see me face to face. I'll show him things he's never seen before, like the other side of his dick when I slice it off. Now, as interested as I would be in seeing Johnny Depp slice Elon Musk's dick off, 
The rest of that exchange is just fucking disgusting. So then we get to another recording of an unknown date. This is the phone call with maybe the most infamous clip from the entire trial. Before we get to that, though, let's talk about what preceded that moment. So the call first starts with Amber telling Johnny that he didn't need to file anything when she filed for the restraining order. She said that that actually made it easier for TMZ to discover the documents and said that she had instructed her attorneys to deliver her documents in the middle of a stack of paperwork to the court at the end of the day to make it less likely to get discovered and says this is why it took TMZ a few days to publish the report on their divorce. Johnny's attorneys, on the other hand, delivered his documents at opening hours on top of a stack of paperwork, and then eight minutes or five minutes after, TMZ picked up the story. Amber implies that Johnny's attorneys were doing this intentionally to get the story into TMZ. She also explains to Johnny exactly why she filed for the restraining order. When they bring up the police report, Amber says the reason she didn't make a statement on May 21st is because she didn't want to hurt him. But since their divorce became public, she's been called a liar and a gold digger, and that everything in the media was from his side. Which isn't unfair, because yeah, everything that TMZ was publishing was pretty blatantly pro-Johnny, anti-Amber. Then she explains that the only reason she told Ayu to call the police in the first place was because she was genuinely afraid that Johnny was gonna kill her. Which he counters by bringing up the finger incident in Australia and says that she threw a can of mineral spirits at his nose. Yet again, we have this can thing. It comes up again and again and again. And I'm not gonna say that it is okay to throw cans at people. But considering everything that Amber has accused Johnny of, the fact that he continuously brings up the can of mineral spirits tells me that he does not actually have that much ammunition. That Amber probably did not incite as much violence as he'd like, everyone to believe. And perhaps, by extension, Amber's violence was reactive. If I had a partner whom I had been worried was going to literally murder me on accident, I might throw a can at them. Now we are almost at the infamous clip. Before I play it, I'm going to go back a little bit so we can be very clear about the context and everyone can know that I'm not clipping this out of place. But I would like you to pay attention to the wording in the clip. Because while a lot of people have reported that Amber says to him, tell the world that I, Johnny Depp, a man, am a victim of domestic violence. I don't think that that's what she says. I think that she says, tell the world that I, Johnny Depp, man, I'm a victim of domestic violence. She says man as in like, hey man, 
She doesn't say a man to denote gender. She is speaking from the perspective of Johnny, saying man to someone. That is what I hear. You can listen to it and tell me what you hear. But let's put the whole thing in context. I didn't. Uh, let me talk to the team. I did not call the cops. I did not call the cops. You told I would call the cops. I did not call the cops, and I did not give them any statement when they came. I've been trying to protect you. I you told I.O. to call the cops. Call. When? When? While it, while it was happening? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because the last time that it got crazy between us, I really did think I was going to lose my life, and I thought you would do it on accident. And I told you that. I said, oh, my God, I thought for the first time. Amber, I, I lost a I had a, a mineral can a jar of can of mineral spirits thrown at my nose. I, I, you can please tell people that it was a fair fight and see what the see what the jury and judge think. Tell the world, Johnny. Tell them, Johnny Depp. I, Johnny Depp, man, I I am a victim too of domestic violence, and yes. I, you know, it's a fair fight. And see how many people believe or side with you. It doesn't matter if it's a fair, fair, fair fight. My Exactly, because you're big, you're bigger, and you're stronger. And so when I say that I thought you could kill me, that doesn't mean you counter with you also uh, that you lost your own finger. I, I am not trying to attack you here. I'm just trying to point out the fact of why I said call 911. Because I was, you are, you had your hands on me after you threw a phone in my face, and I just got crazy in the past, and I truly thought I need to stop this madness before I get hurt. Oh my God. And I never think about myself that way. I never defend myself that way. I never see myself as a victim. It's too fault, you know? All right, yeah. And I, 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 when they came, I did not cooperate with them. It has been used against me, not by the media, by your side. Who said, look. What do you mean? Where's the media? It's all out in the media. Why is my... Yeah. Is this a really horrible thing to hear someone say completely devoid of any context? Yes. But within this conversation, Amber is saying to Johnny, I was worried you were going to kill me. If you take this story to police and say that you are the victim, it's not going to seem very likely because you are bigger and stronger than me. Is that fair? I mean, no. You could kill someone who's bigger than you. It'd be harder, but you could do it. But I do understand 
Amber's argument. Nothing that she's been accused of matches what she's accused him of. She said again, she thought he was going to kill her. He says, I injured my finger and you threw a can at me. Amber also points out in this recording, the fact that she didn't make a statement to police was used against her by Johnny's own team, which is true. In their statement to TMZ, Johnny's attorney said, well, she didn't file a police report. And in this argument, Johnny is mad at Amber for calling the police, period. Then she accuses TMZ of being in Johnny's pocket, which, given all the articles that they published and what the articles said, I don't think is unreasonable. Now, what in someone's pocket really means can be debated. I don't really think that Johnny's team was, like, paying TMZ to put out these stories, but TMZ is very friendly to people who comply with them and give them things to publish, and it does seem like Johnny's team was giving them things to publish. Harvey Levin's smart. He's not trying to burn his bridges. Then Amber, again reasonably, brings up things that TMZ published, for instance, her arrest record, and says that she thinks someone in Johnny's team leaked that. He finds this so offensive that he immediately switches and tells Amber, I'll see you in court. Despite that ending to the conversation, they apparently did reach some sort of agreement because on August 19th, they reach a settlement. Their divorce isn't yet finalized, but they put out a public statement saying, our relationship was intensely passionate and at times volatile, but always bound by love. Neither party has made false accusations for financial gain. There was never any intention of physical or emotional harm. Now with this, Amber gets pretty much nothing from the divorce. Johnny keeps all the property. Amber gets a $7 million divorce settlement, which she pledged to donate to the ACLU and a children's hospital. There's a whole bunch of drama with that, but I'll talk about that next episode. But it really doesn't matter. $7 million compared to what she could have gotten, considering they never signed a prenup or a postnup, is tiny. And again... She walked away with no property. The only thing she got were her dogs, which I'm glad. I didn't include it in the document or in this podcast, but I don't trust Johnny with those dogs for reasons. Anyway, the only other thing you need to know about the settlement is that they both signed a confidentiality agreement which barred them from ever talking about their relationship, specifically any abuse allegations, publicly. So remember that. Now we've got some updates just about Johnny. So December, we have a text message from Johnny's agent at the time, texting his business manager, saying that his agent got a call from Disney saying he'd been five hours late for ADR work. ADR, by the way, is like um, when you record your dialogue again in case they need to like dub over it in a movie. So I can't imagine what being five hours late to that would do to production. Like, that would be such a pain in the ass. 
if your entire job for that day is just to go do ADR work, what else would they do when you're not there? Like, it's not even like an on-set shoot where they could maybe get some, like, additional footage of something else or shoot someone else's over-the-shoulder stuff before you get there. Like, you literally just held producers up for five hours. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that one. Despite later claims from Christian Carino, Mr. X Gaga, saying that yeah, it was known that Johnny was late to set sometimes, but production found a way to work around that. What way can they work around it when you're scheduled for ADR work? Then in January 2017, Johnny sued his former business managers. He alleged that they committed negligence, fraud, and breach of fiduciary duty against him. They countersued saying that he'd failed to pay them back a $5 million loan from 2012, and that since he hadn't paid them back, they were going to start foreclosing on some of his properties, of which he had like 14, by the way. Now, the company claims that Johnny's lawsuit, filed on the eve of the sale of those properties, was a transparent attempt to derail the foreclosure by concocting and spreading malicious lies. I won't bore you with the details of these lawsuits, but basically, the business managers outlined a whole bunch of reckless spending that Johnny was doing, they had receipts for all of it, they had receipts for the fact that they told him straight up what was going on, which he denies and says that he was kept in the dark about a bunch of shit. And a representative for his former business managers said, quote, Johnny is a habitual liar who denies responsibility for his own outrageous conduct and coerces others to lie for him, unquote. Both parties would later settle the lawsuits for an undisclosed amount. Then sometime early in 2017, Johnny, at 56, began dating a 24-year-old after all the complaints he had about the fact that Amber was reprimanding him despite her being half his age. I guess he decided to rectify that in his future relationships by finding someone even younger who would have even less authority to get mad at him. There's not a whole bunch known about that relationship. The Daily Mail wrote some stuff about it, but now I guess he's dating like a 33-year-old, so that's a little better, but... Moving on, in April of 2017, Johnny allegedly assaulted a crew member on the set of the film City of Lies. So the crew member in question was the location manager for the film. He was informing the director that night that their shooting permit had expired, they had already gotten it extended like twice, so they couldn't do it again. And when Johnny heard that they were going to have to stop filming, even though he wanted to do a couple more takes, he apparently got really mad and started yelling at the location director, then allegedly punched him in the ribs twice, then yelled to him, I will give you $100,000 to punch me in the face right now. Now, after this incident... When the location director returned to set, like, the next day or whenever after, 
he said that he was asked to sign a release form waiving his right to sue over the incident, and when he refused, then he was fired. And then he did in fact sue. This case was also settled for an undisclosed amount. Then in May of 2018, Johnny is sued again, this time by his ex-bodyguards. I don't know who specifically, I don't believe it's anyone that testified in the UK or US trials, but their allegations basically boil down to Johnny putting them in unsafe and unacceptable situations, wrongful termination, and then also a failure to pay wages. They said that as bodyguards, they were tasked with, like, warning Johnny when he had residue from drugs visible on him, and then trying to get other people around Johnny, like just members of the public, to not notice how incredibly inebriated he was. Not surprising. And then, you're never gonna guess it, but that lawsuit was also quietly settled for an undisclosed amount. Then, on April 27th, 2018, The Sun, a UK tabloid, publishes an article criticizing JK Rowling for her celebration of Johnny's casting in the Fantastic Beast series, despite the fact that he is a wife-beater. And I say fact because, as we all know, Johnny would go on to sue the son for calling him a wife-beater, Amber would go on to testify in the case, and the judge would find that he is, in fact, a wife-beater. If you want more details as to why they made that decision, great news for you. The whole thing is online, easy to find, easy to read. It's like a hundred and something pages, but it's really well put together. Like, it's really well organized. It's in, like, chronological order of all the incidents that Amber had alleged. And the entire breakdown for why the judge made the verdict that he did, it's all right there. And there's quite a lot more evidence from Amber used in the UK trial that was not able to be used in the US trial. And that's something that I need to impress upon people. Because when I posted my page, I got a lot of people saying that it was just useless because anyone who wants to know about the case can just watch the trial on YouTube. But the trial that's on YouTube doesn't have all the evidence. They excluded a lot of stuff as hearsay because a lot of the times that Amber was texting people and saying like, Johnny just punched me, that got counted as hearsay. But in a domestic abuse case, what else is there? I mean, a lot. Amber, more than like any other domestic abuse victim, had a lot of evidence that she could present. Unfortunately, her attorneys did a shit job at presenting it, but in most cases, the only evidence there is is telling other people things that happened to you when they happened. The fact that Amber was reporting some of these incidents to friends and family as early as, like, 2011-2012 that's significant. That's evidence. 
that's more evidence than a lot of abuse victims have. And a lot of it couldn't be used in court. Now, in the same month that he sued the son, or filed his lawsuit, his reputation took another hit because on June 21st, Rolling Stone released a very unflattering article about Johnny. So the writer Stephen Roderick went to Johnny's house for three days and did an interview with him. He described Johnny as a permanent Peter Pan who's oblivious to any personal complicity in his current predicament. He talked about the lawsuit with Johnny's former business managers. That's a whole thing. That makes up a lot of the article, and I honestly really do recommend reading it if you want to know more about that. There's also some strange quotes in here about Harvey Weinstein. Now, again, this was 2018, so after the big, like, Me Too scandal with Harvey, but... Johnny's complaint about Harvey is that he was an asshole for burying his film Dead Man. Then he goes on to say, like, well, but I did see Harvey interacting with his daughter once, so I guess he's not that bad of a guy. I mean, it's really absurd. I'm not saying that that's, like, proof of any abuse allegations. It's just a weird thing to say, and I thought that I should bring it up. The most important thing in this article, though, is what Roderick writes about Johnny's lawyer, Adam Waltman. So, as Roderick points out, Waltman was listed number one in a Business Insider article entitled, Executives Who Are Working on Behalf of Putin. Like, Vladimir Putin. Adam Waltman has very strong ties to Russian oligarchs and the Russian president. That makes him sus. My favorite thing, though, is towards the end of the piece, Roderick writes that there is no one around Johnny who isn't getting paid. And I think that we should be thinking about that when people are testifying on his behalf. Then, in October of 2018, Johnny does another interview. This one was a lot more flattering in a certain way. It's at least attempting to be flattering, though I think it's incriminating in some other ways. So, this is an interview that he did with GQ. He actually complained about the Rolling Stone article in this interview along with a whole other, like, myriad of things and all the people that he believes betrayed him. But here's the quote that I really want to point out. So in his direct quote, he does not name Amber. But GQ, they don't have a confidentiality agreement, so they're free to do whatever they want. And if Johnny wasn't making it clear with his quote, they would make it clear in their article. But here's what Johnny said about the abuse allegations. Why didn't that person speak to the police? I mean, they spoke to the police, but the police saw nothing. And they offered her an emergency medical technician. She said no. Police see nothing on her. Police see nothing broken in the place. No marks. And then they offer her an EMT to have a look at her, and she says no. And I don't know if it was the next day or a couple of days later, but then there was a bruise. I'm cutting in here for a second to say, that's how bruises work. They take a day to show up. Anyway, 
There was a red mark and then there was a brown bruise. She was at a party the next day. Her eye wasn't closed. She had her hair over her eye, but you could see the eye wasn't shut. 25 feet away from her, how the fuck am I gonna hit her? Which, by the way, is the last thing I would have done. I might look stupid, but I ain't fucking stupid. So obviously, this article pissed Amber off. They had a confidentiality agreement. He is breaking it to accuse her of lying. So two days later, in a statement from her attorneys, Amber says, Mr. Depp is shamefully continuing his psychological abuse of Miss Heard, who has attempted to put a very painful part of her life firmly in the past. One need only look at the physical evidence to draw the proper conclusion. So that is what Johnny said about Amber. Then, in December of 2018, Amber writes a Washington Post op-ed with the title, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. Within the article, she says, Two years ago, I became a public figure representing domestic abuse, and I felt the full force of our culture's wrath for women who speak out. In a very indirect reference to Johnny, she says, I had the rare vantage point of seeing in real time how institutions protect men accused of abuse. So Johnny could say all that shit about her going against their confidentiality agreement. Amber says that she's a public figure representing abuse. Doesn't actually say I'm a victim. She says representing. And she says that she saw how institutions protect men accused of abuse. Again, does not say a man who abused me, she says accused of abuse, which she did accuse him of abuse in 2016 when she filed a restraining order. None of those statements are factually untrue. And yet, Johnny sues her. Doesn't sue the Washington Post, just sues Amber. Doesn't sue the ACLU, which co-wrote the article. Some would even say they wrote the whole thing. Just sues Amber. In a state, by the way, that neither of them live in, but where the Washington Post happens to have an office, and the case would have been harder for her to get dismissed. Now, because of the confidentiality agreement, he almost got away with suing the son with no one to defend the abuse allegations, and then sued Amber in the U.S. and nobody else. Not the Washington Post, not the ACLU. I can't underemphasize how targeted these defamation lawsuits were. He literally sued Amber for $50 million, which was above her net worth. This was about humiliating her, just like he said he would. It is total global humiliation. Well, let's go back to Adam Waldman. So, at some point during the UK trial, Johnny's lawyers were getting statements from people and getting their depositions. They contacted Laura Devonair, 
who was Amber's friend and an interior decorator that Amber was working with around the time her and Johnny separated. So Laura called Amber. Amber recorded the conversation without Laura's knowledge, which is rude and also illegal depending on what state they were in. But this is what Laura said. So I'm gonna fill you in with these, with what they're doing to me right now. What? Johnny's. Oh, the, okay. What's going on? I didn't even, so you sent me that screen grab. Okay, because, oh. But it looked like in, from the screen or uh, whatever. Apparently the attorney that Johnny's working with was like threatening if I didn't get back to him that I'd have to literally. So I'm like, all right. What did he say? That, because I said, for, I said, when he, he first approached me. I said, no, I said, you know, I go, I really don't know anything about this. I mean, about, you know, it, that's not something Amber and I ever talked about as far as abuse goes. I wasn't there until, you know, that summer when I was helping her put things together. He has me on file, on photograph, mm -hmm. going into the building every single day, apparently. But so how did that information get to you? I have, he, he, he directly contacted me. He called me on the phone and then I just didn't pick up. And then the next night he literally texted me. And so that's when I said, I go, you know, I just kind of pled like, I don't know anything. You know, I go, that wasn't a part of their life that I was exposed to or anything along those lines. I said, I knew that it was a difficult relationship at best. I go, but I was peripheral. Mm -hmm. I got a text from him at like three o'clock in the morning, basically calling me a liar and literally saying, well, then you are just part of Amber's conspiratorial group. I mean, this guy is the biggest asshole under the sun. He basically was like, he just kept being really slanderous. I said, I'm sorry, I don't know Amber to be that person at all. And I, I believe her. And then he's like, well, we have to, you have to sit there and I need to have a conversation with you on the phone. And, um, and you know, if not, I'm, we're, you know, we will subpoena you and you will be deposed. I'm like, are they kidding me? So he said you'll be deposed if you don't Correct. have a conversation. Without, without question. So I'm going to paraphrase what they said after, after the conversation. He, it was almost two and a half hours. He was the biggest ass I've ever encountered into my life. And then, this is just so, Amber, I, you have no idea. I absolutely adore you. You know that. And it's like, I, I've sat there and like these guys, He's the biggest asshole under the sun. I ha and he was trying to get me to say this, and I didn't know anything about this either, but your mother coming in and at some point in front of Kevin D's, I'm just saying this so you know, and, um, and screaming about, um, like, she's going to take him for everything she, you know, he's worth or something like that. And My I said, mo wait, mom? Your mother. My mom's never screamed at him. No, I know that. Know That's what I'm saying. I said, I go... I've only met Amber's mother a few times. I go, that doesn't, that seems so not to her character. I go, and if you're asking me if I witnessed it, I swear to God, I did not. So, but these are like the stupid things that are like coming like consistently. And then it was like, um, well, did, did, you know, have you talked to Rocky? They're apparently planning to subpoena Rocky and Aya, which I'm sure you're aware of for perjury. That you can't subpoena someone for perjury. I know. You subpoena someone as a part of a legal process. Well, what there the, you go. What but this is, is it's actually yes. manipulating and coercing it's people through threats. completely manipulating it. Without people being savvy mm -hmm. about the law, they are threatening people they are. to coerce statements out of people. Yes. Because and people are actually able to be tricked if you don't know anything about... Right. 
and she's going on about, well, do you know about Tasia? And, and I said, I didn't know any of that. And, and so then he's like, well, then now you know about it. I'm like, well, okay, great. He just told you something. He just told me. No, but I know, but that's what I'm saying. Nothing he says, it's all manipulation. I, I know it is. So basically, I'm I mean, this guy has literally said they have me on camera, which funny, we've never seen that footage. We've seen me stand in an elevator, but they literally made up this this thing about Whitney practicing hitting me in the hallway and they have it on camera. Oh, oh yeah, like that's where the that's where the bruises came from. I'm like, oh, oh yeah, well, um, where is that footage? Like he just literally is just made up. It's literally just made up. It's it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean. I have not slept for nights because I just didn't even know how to tell you that this has now been brought up and I have to go ahead and tell you about all this information. So he basically said if I didn't sign a declaration, but it doesn't say it doesn't it doesn't say state anything of from you at all. It just, you know, it's like I'm always I aware of Tasset when I said, Well no, I'm not, but I told you about it the other day. So that's in there. If I didn't, I was gonna be deposed and I, and he's like and it was gonna be fifteen to twenty thousand dollars. So I'm telling you now because I need you to know that and I need your attorneys to then go ahead and get me to do a declaration too and question me so that I can say something in your favor. Because he's not giving me any, like, I would, I would like explain things like, he's like, well, you were up there that. I said, yeah, but that didn't mean I was up with Amber going over this huge plot. I go, I'm with Amber like 5, 10, 15 minutes, half an hour at most, and it, we're there, I'm there to work. And so I don't know, you know, any of this. And it was like, well, you need a yes or no, then you're not familiar with how the court system works. I'm like, no, I've never been in a court ever. So I was literally forced into signing a declaration that, again, does not say it's the most vanilla thing imaginable. But I can't afford $20,000 because I don't even know what's going on with Elon right now. But I need your attorneys to sit there and work at a declaration so that I'm in your favor, so it nulls anything out. Because I didn't see, because he's like, well, did you see her completely, did you see her absolutely beaten up? And he was using the analogy of, well, if my arm was ripped off. And I'm like, and I said, she was visibly upset the entire time, and I said it came from an absolutely true place. Well, true place, like, and then he would go ahead and just say some complete other fabrication. Like I felt like my hands are completely tied and there was nothing I could say to resurrect the situation. And I just was like doing your damnedest. And so he's do, he did the super declaration thing and I just kept expunging things and expunging things and then he just wouldn't do anything else because I don't know what else to do. I am like literally heartbroken about this because I can't sit there because we never had, you know, I didn't know any of this knowledge beforehand. I mean, it was literally afterwards. You you always hid it from me. Yeah. It's not your fault you didn't know. I hid it from everyone. That's I know. What Amber. people do. There's some other stuff in this recording, too, that I'll talk more about next episode. But I really think the fact that Adam Waldman was kind of coercing people into giving their statements needs a lot more attention. Then on December 18th, 2020, The Hollywood Reporter put out another unflattering article about Johnny. This one, I'm not gonna get into the specifics of it, but it again talks about Adam Waldman and a whole bunch of the lawsuits that Johnny was in. It's called He's Radioactive Inside Johnny Depp's Self-Made Implosion. I really only bring it up just to draw attention to the fact that there's a lot of stuff in these articles talking about how Johnny was just someone that 
people didn't really want to work with anymore for a lot of reasons. The abuse allegations were kind of the least of his concerns when it came to the loss of opportunities in his career. And then we finally get to more or less present day with the U.S. trials starting on April 11th, 2022 and going until June 1st. Adam Waldman was thrown off the case by a former judge overseeing this trial because he was found to have leaked a whole bunch of confidential information about Amber to the press. Now, about the trial, at this point, it's probably pretty clear that I side with Amber. However, I definitely do understand if someone had only watched the U.S. trial or just was primarily familiar with that rather than some of this extra information or the U.K. trial, I get why you would side with Johnny. In terms of performance in the courtroom, Johnny blew Amber out of the water. I don't even mean performance like on an individual level, but I mean like the whole team. Amber's attorneys sucked. I'm sure they're nice people, but holy fuck. Like, I'm not a lawyer. And I'm not really sure that I'd be a good lawyer, but I'm like a hundred percent sure that I could have represented her better than those attorneys did. I mean, it was really just infuriating to watch. Even down to like the expert witnesses that they put up there, like Johnny's expert witnesses were just more articulate and came across as more credible. I don't know what anyone on Amber's team was thinking. But also, yeah, on an individual level, Johnny did better on the stand than Amber did. That doesn't mean much in regards to what really happened outside of the courtroom, but just going off of their physical presentation, Johnny came across as more honest and more credible. Amber, I think, just really miscalculated how she should have played this. She was definitely downplaying a lot of the most unflattering things that were lobbed at her. And I understand why, especially from, like, a victim standpoint, she doesn't want to make herself seem like any sort of villain in this narrative because she knows that she wasn't the one with the power in the relationship, but by making herself seem a lot more meek and innocent than she was, it did make her look on the surface like a liar. I imagine she went in thinking, if I act super defensive or angry or bitchy, they're not going to see me as a sympathetic victim and they're going to think that I either deserved what happened to me or they're just going to believe him that I was the abuser. And yeah, you definitely do have to be careful when you're a woman especially to not come across as too spiteful. But the only thing worse when you're a woman than being a bitch is being a bitch who is pretending to not be a bitch. Once you get accused of being calculating, conniving, manipulative, 
There's nothing you can do to change anyone's mind. Even the best things that you do from thereafter are going to be looked at with suspicion. And Amber just kind of walked right into it. I mean, if I could give Amber any advice, I would say, be fucking mean. Do an interview and be spiteful. Be angry. Let people see how fucked up you were from that situation. Admit to all the worst things you've ever done. It doesn't really help your case when you're going on interviews being like, I don't blame the jury. Blame them. Be mad. Be so bitchy that no one can accuse you of faking it. And then reiterate all the things that happened to you and remind people that being a bitch isn't justification for being a victim of abuse. Now I've got a few more points that I need to get through because really, if you've stuck around this long, I appreciate you going through all that other shit with me. But this is the most important shit I'm gonna say the whole podcast, okay? So first, we need to draw attention to the fact that Johnny was significantly more powerful than Amber. And by more powerful, I mean wealthier. And also, you know, like, more famous too, but... Mostly, he just had more money. So as much as I'm kind of shaming Amber for her shitty choice in attorneys, Johnny had more money in the first place to get better attorneys. So, I mean, that was always going to be kind of lopsided. And in relation to his witnesses, also, a lot of those people are people that he's paid. Either is paying currently because they are still his employees, they were his employees at one point, or he's just helped them financially some other way. A big part of Johnny's defense that I was so frustrated that he got away with and people bought is that he was continuously portraying himself as extremely generous, which, yeah, that's a nice trait of someone. Doesn't prove that they are not an abuser, but whatever. But while people were, like, swooning over him, being like, oh my god, he paid for that person to go to school or whatever. I don't even know. He, he gave a lot of people places to live, for one thing. Like Isaac, who testified on his behalf, and I would say was, like the most compelling witness in maybe the whole trial. And Isaac talked a lot about the fact that Johnny let him live at his properties rent-free for years and also helped him in his career in a lot of other ways. And yeah, that's a lovely thing to say about someone. They were super generous to me. I'm super grateful. I love them, blah, 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 blah. But also, let's remember... Why might someone feel like they owe someone loyalty? Could money come into it? If someone was paying for me to live at a beautiful penthouse for years rent-free, I'm not fucking testifying against them. That's not true. I would testify against them if they, like, if I really thought they, like, beat their wife or something. But 
Isaac probably doesn't actually think that. He probably does believe Johnny because he's only ever seen him as an incredibly generous, giving person. That can be a way to manipulate people. I hate to say it, but let's go back to O.J. Simpson. Nicole Brown, after she was horrifically beaten by O.J., was convinced by her own father to not press criminal charges against him because O.J. had been helping her father financially. He'd been helping him with his business. Money can sometimes be a bigger contributing factor to what you will allow someone to get away with more than just, like, familial loyalty. Maybe blood is thicker than water, but a that stack of cash is thicker than all of them. So while I've seen a lot of discourse talking about how Johnny led Amber's friends and her sister live in his penthouses and he did all this nice stuff for them and he was giving her parents money and then using that as like See, clearly he wasn't abusing her. Abusers try to isolate their victims. He was letting her friends live next door rent-free. That is isolation sometimes. When you are funding every one of your partner's support systems, what do they have? It's truly a miracle that Amber's friends did testify on her behalf. They easily could have just stayed in those penthouses and been like, fuck you, Amber, we're Team Johnny now. And there are text messages where Amber is apologizing to her friends because now that her and Johnny are, like, separating, they don't get to go to the island, to the Bahamas, to have Christmas. Like, you have to think about then, too, what was at stake if Amber left Johnny? She got that restraining order so that she could keep her friends and her in Johnny's apartments. She changed the locks because she was worried that her and her loved ones were gonna get evicted. She's in recordings telling Johnny it's not fair that you leave when we're having arguments because you can go and go to any of your one of 14 houses. I don't have any other property. I have to go to a hotel room if I want to leave. And I didn't even really talk much about the accusations that came from multiple people that Johnny was encouraging Amber to quit acting. He wanted her to not work, period. He continuously told her, I don't know why you think you have to work. I'll support all of us. I'll support your family. That's financial domination. Whitney even said one of the times she knew Johnny and Amber were having a fight was because Johnny was mad at Amber because she wouldn't take a credit card he was trying to give her. He said that he wanted to pay all the bills on the card, and she didn't want that. Now let's go back to the fact that Amber's medical team was hired by Johnny. Even Amber's own doctors were not exclusively on her side. They were employed and paid for by Johnny, her husband. 
her husband that she had been alleging abuse about to many people over the course of years. Now let's talk about a private investigator that Amber apparently hired. Amber, sweetie, I support you and I believe you, but you're making some dumb decisions. Okay, so Amber hired this P.I., I'm putting that in quotes, his name is Paul Baresi. I put it in quotes because he's not really a private investigator, he is a Hollywood fixer. If you don't know what a Hollywood fixer is, it is a breed of person that is bad. Basically what their job is, is to cover up scandals for celebrities and or other rich people. Paul Baresi in particular specifically specializes in covering up allegations of sexual abuse. Now, what these fixers will do and what Paul Baresi has talked about doing himself when they get someone who is trying to hire their services to act as a private investigator against somebody else. So you come to Paul Baresi and you say, hey, I want you to get some dirt on this guy. They will then take that, go to the other person and say, hey, I got some information on you and someone wants me to give it to them. If you give me more money than they did, I'll switch sides and I'll tell you what I learned about that person. They do that. Paul Baresi has talked about doing that. So if you're Amber Heard and you contact Paul Baresi, as she did, and you say, hey, my husband is accusing me of lying about being abused. Can you please find some other people who also have abuse allegations about him to make a statement? Here are 10 names of people that I think might have something to say. Would you not Google the name Paul Baresi prior so that you would know that he is absolutely gonna go to your ex and say, hey, what's the price for me to not work for Amber? And Amber knows that Johnny has significantly more money than she does. How would this ever work out in her favor? Well, it didn't. Not only did Paul Baresi go to the public and say, Amber hired me as a private investigator and I questioned like a whole bunch of people and no one had anything bad to say about Johnny. He then started seemingly working for Johnny. Paul Baresi publicized claims about Amber's father being involved in a dogfighting ring. He advocated on Johnny's behalf following the assault allegations on the set of City of Lies. And he submitted information to Radar Online that he claims absolves Johnny of any responsibility involving the disappearance of Anthony Fox, who we talked about in the first episode. There is no doubt in my mind that Paul Baresi took all of the information that Amber gave him, 
all of the names that she believed might have allegations against him and turn them over to Johnny for Johnny's benefit. And what really upsets me about this is that whomever Paul contacted, I don't think we're ever gonna get their stories if there were allegations. Because what Paul Baresi does is silence people. And how he does that, I'm... I don't really want to know, but I mean, there's only so many ways you could do that. If someone has an allegation against someone, you could pay for their silence. If they have a career in the industry, you could blacklist them. You could blackmail them. You could threaten their lives. You could threaten their families' lives. And this isn't really totally hypothetical. I mean, I'm gonna play you a clip of an interview Paul Baresi did where he's talking about his work with Eddie Murphy because Eddie Murphy got into a scandal a long time ago involving transgender prostitutes and Eddie hired Paul to take care of that issue for him. And this is what Paul had to say. They knew who I was, so I, when I went knocking on their door, they invited me in. And I got, uh, there were seven of them, I got six of them, to the best of my recollection, to, re, to recant their story, with the exception of the Samoan girl, girl Zawali was her name, uh, Adazone Zawali. She, she wouldn't budge, and... Unfortunately, she ended up falling to her death from the roof of her apartment. Now granted, Paul says that he had nothing to do with that woman's death, but look, again, there are only so many ways you can get someone to be quiet about something, and money and threats to their careers isn't always going to do it. And not everyone has stuff you can blackmail them with. So that's just something I want us to be aware of. Money and power can get you a lot. Now I want to move on to the second point, And this is what I want to press upon people. If you believe Johnny Depp's claims, if you believe all of Johnny Depp's claims, Maybe you think that he was a little dishonest about, like, his drug use. He was probably using more than that. And there might have been, like, a few discrepancies in his accounts of stuff. But overall, the big things that he is alleged about Amber are true. This is what you believe. You believe that every time Amber told someone that she was being abused as early as, like, 2012 if you include her therapist notes, which I'm not even going to do. I am going to be very generous here. If we're just looking at, like, the text messages that we have, then at least since March of 2013, before they were married, before they were engaged, Amber was putting together her story. She was putting it together through pictures, text messages, recordings, 
statements she gave to her doctors that are recorded in their notes. She was telling people about it in person or those people are actually lying and she didn't tell them that stuff. They were all in on it with her. In fact, if we're just taking out the people that Amber texted who could theoretically not have known that she was lying, according to Johnny, just based off of who testified over what, you have to believe that the people in on it with Amber were Whitney, Rocky, Josh, Melanie, Ayo, and Elizabeth. Six people all in on this conspiracy who left no trace of it whatsoever. There are no text messages between them trying to set something up. In fact, there are only text messages between them where Amber is just telling them like, Johnny beat me. And they're saying, oh my God, oh no. Like they're faking this to a degree that is insane. And for what? What did any of those people get out of it? What did Amber get out of it? Even prior to this lawsuit, between 2016 when she filed the restraining order and 2018 when she wrote the op-ed before Johnny sued her, what did she get from these allegations? Nothing. She got nothing. She went to so much effort for just nothing. Because you don't win a prize for being an abuse victim. Even before the lawsuit, publications were calling her a gold digger. TMZ was, implying she was unsympathetic because she happened to divorce him around the death of his mother. Amber Heard is a liar was trending on Twitter on and off for years. And not only do I find it surprising that Amber went to all that effort to really not get anything in return, I'm surprised that she was smart and cunning enough to pull all of this off and not smart enough to get better lawyers not hire Paul Baresi to investigate her much richer husband, and, above all, not smart enough to not act like a raging bitch in those audio recordings. She knew she was being recorded. And yet, this master craftswoman who's been plotting Johnny Depp's downfall since at least 2013 didn't think to act more like a sympathetic victim in those recordings? Or in the courtroom, even? Why was she so good at pulling all of this off until just now? The fact is, not only are false allegations of abuse and rape and assault really rare, they're even rarer to get away with. Because people who fake those things typically aren't good at faking them. Lying about something like that takes a lot of emotional energy. You have to remember a lot of details, things that didn't actually happen, and you're going to need to keep recounting them multiple times, especially if you want to charge someone for something. 
You're going to be questioned about it. People are going to mention it for the rest of your life. You're going to have to act like you experienced something that you didn't actually experience and you're not really going to know how to act properly. And you're going to have a lot of trouble keeping facts straight for the rest of your life. With all the stuff that Amber alleged about Johnny, yes, there are a few discrepancies here and there, and she's changed slight things in how she tells stuff over the years, but those are really small and memory is not infallible, so none of that can't be explained by just her misremembering something or misstating it or what have you, or maybe even telling some small white lies in order to protect herself against something else. But overall, the allegations are the same. She's kept a pretty straight story since 2016. And that's pretty impressive for someone who apparently made all this up. So, in conclusion, I believe Amber Heard. I do. I'm sorry. And I'm not done talking about it. Um, the next episode, I'm gonna go more into the reaction on social media, all the, like, just complete misinformation I saw, as well as weird interpretations that other people have had for certain things. And I'm gonna talk more about, like, Darvo and things that people are just getting wrong about the way that they're talking about abuse. So, I'll see you then. Hope that I don't get any, like, death threats until then. Bye.